He's got a beautiful backswing. That's, oh, he got all of that one. Oh, my gosh. That is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What is good, everybody? Welcome into the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. And today, it is the 73rd Hole Masters Preview Show. We do it every year. We're going to go over every single player in the field. But it's Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Jim Woodward, as always, but we are joined by two special guests today. Number one, we have the Hump Man live from Augusta, and then we will have Colby Powell reuniting with the 73rd hole. It's like an Avengers podcast here. We're all coming together for Masters Week, just like the PGA Tour guys and the Live guys are for a greater cause, guys. But we have to start here. Taylor Williams is currently in Augusta. T-Dub, what are your initial thoughts of the town of Augusta? I know you haven't been in the gates yet, but what is Augusta like? Well, first of all, I am just so beyond blessed and ecstatic to be in this great place. And just the amount of thrill that I have for what tomorrow will bring is just insurmountable. And be able to do this podcast with y'all, thank you guys, all of y'all for coming on. As you said, Tim, the Avengers have officially assembled on the best week of the entire year. I cannot wait for it. As far as everything has gone today, got into Augusta, had some complications at the rental car place, but we got here a couple <laughs> hours ago. You know, got settled in. We, I went and drove around, you know, went, went and saw Augusta Country Club, which is notorious for being right by Augusta National. It's actually, they had to, Augusta National to buy some land from Augusta Country Club to put the new tee on 13. So I went and checked out that course a little bit. It looks pretty cool. Um, but I'll say this, guys, and and, and it, uh, man, I want you to attest to this. If you did not know what what Augusta National was, you did not know golf. There is literally a zero percent chance that you would think that Augusta National, the best golf course in the world, is in this town. It's I thought Southern Hills was in a, a ranky dank part of town. It's, it's unbelievable to think that the best golf course in the world is in this town, huh, man? It's crazy. Uh, you're right, T-Dub. I always tell people it's like driving down May Avenue and then you get to like 23rd May and there's Augusta National on your right side, whatever, because Washington Road does remind me a lot of May Avenue. But but no, once you get inside the gates, T-Dub, it's a whole different world. There's no doubt about that. And Woody, I mean, you've been to Augusta National. What were your initial thoughts the first time you walked in the gates? Because that's what T-Dub is going to experience tomorrow. I know that our own Willie Wood, friend of the show, had a great PGA Tour career, one of the best amateur careers of all time, said that when he spent the night in the crow's nest and woke up that next morning, he said he knew there was a God because no other entity could have created created something so beautiful when he looked out of the crow's nest and saw Augusta National for the first time after arriving at nighttime, Woody. What was your story like the first time you saw it? I think what what you got to realize with Augusta, uh, just like any mecca for a golfer. Now, I'll tell you this, the difference between Augusta and almost any other golf course that you talk about, even a layman, even somebody doesn't even know anything about golf, when they set foot on that property, it's just such an amazing sight, just the, the, how well it's manicured. 
how beautiful it is. I was what shot me, believe it or not, guys, how small the clubhouse was. <laughs> I had built this massive building in my mind. And I had built that, that, that Magnolia Drive as being something that was really big and spectacular. Neither one were that. They, it's, it's not a very big or wide road, and that clubhouse is not very big at all. Now, once you step through the clubhouse and go out onto that back patio and you see 18 and 9 and 1 and 10T and everything that's there, I still get chills. I still do. I, I'm getting them right now, thinking back how long ago I did it. And it's still just, um, it's mind-boggling. It is. I, can't, I wish you could put a heart monitor on T-Dub tomorrow when he walks through the game. <laughs> Me too. Me too, Woody. <laughs> and then we have T-Dub. No, you don't want to see that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So of course, Woody, we got to say the clubhouse was constructed in 1854. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, 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 huh, they haven't done anything to it, have they? Oh, I mean, I, I'm sure they've fixed well, it up they a little bit. The carpet. But as far as like it's that. the same size as what you're saying, right? <laughs> yeah, same. Yeah, I'm sure they've done a little work to it, but it, I mean, the same size. It's never really changed. No doubt about it. And I kind of wanted to give T-Dub and, and my dad, the hump man who's been there. What year is this for you now, dad, that you've been to Augusta National? This is uh, number 34 out of the last 36. I missed the two COVID years in 20 and 21. So needless to say, you know where to go when you enter the gates at Augusta National. And I'm sure some of our listeners might actually be going to Augusta National tomorrow. Or if they go in the future, they can use this information. What would your advice be to T-Dub tonight for a game plan on where to go once he gets in the gates tomorrow? Uh, I, I'm not going to give T-Dub advice. He knows that golf course as well as I do, like the back of his hand. But I, I would just tell people, if they're listening to this Wednesday morning, I mean, obviously you're going to have to be off the big course by 1 or 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Par 3 starts at noon. So gave your, go save yourself a good spot for the par 3 uh, in the morning and then go see all the big course that you can because uh, you will have to, to uh, exit the big course by early in the afternoon. But you're going to have plenty of entertainment over at the par 3. You know, guys, I've thought about – there's two different ways you can go about this. You can either have a set-by-set itinerary of, all right, I will be at this place at 8.04 a.m. I'll be here at 8.11. Or you can just go in and free ball and just see where the greatness of the course takes you. And I think that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to step in, going to be led into the facility by Huntman himself, and we're going to get a little bit of, of a pretty exclusive tour, so I'm pretty excited uh, about that to start off the deal. And then – from there, we're just going to see where it takes us. I think one of the things that Hopman just said was true is that you got to you got to see the full course a little bit quicker than you usually would. You know, like for example, at Southern Hills, on those days I probably walked the course two or three times, but I was also there from seven a.m. to eight p.m. every day. So going to have to get around, get a little bit quick in there, and make sure to probably just make it down the Amen Corner. That way, you can just enjoy the walk down there and then make the way all the way up. But my main thing, guys, is I want to see every single hole of the course. Want to go out? Hopefully, Tiger will be playing a morning practice round a little bit, so I can go out and see him a little bit from there. But, but in all reality, guys, it's really just I want to see the entirety of the golf course. Want to check out all the undulations and really just some of the other uh, special places. You know, we talked about on the radio show, uh, like for example, where Bubba hit his shot on number ten out of uh, from the right trees. Uh, you have uh, the lone palm tree on hole number four. You have uh, the big oak tree up by the clubhouse. So I mean, there's all those standard things. Obviously, you want to see and. Uh, most thing, guys, is it looks like that tomorrow there's not going to be any rain, too, so that's a good thing. A couple of days ago, it looked like there was a higher chance of rain, so 
should have enough time to encompass everything. But uh, it, it's going to be a lot of soaking in in a short amount of time. I don't know if my body can handle well, Dad, T-Dub mentions the weather. Give us a weather report, not just for tomorrow, but what are we going to see, you know, in weather change from Thursday to Sunday? Because there's record high-type temperatures on Wednesday, and then by the time I get there on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it sounds like these guys are going to have a completely different golf course to deal with than what they are going to deal with in the practice rounds, right? Yeah, T-Dub has the high of, like, between I've seen between 85 and 89 degrees tomorrow on Wednesday. By Saturday, it's going to be down to a high of 52 on Saturday. But the rain and the wind are the two really big factors on the weekend because you got a 70% chance of rain on Friday, goes up to anywhere between 80 and 90% chance of rain on Saturday, and then still a, a 60% chance of rain on Sunday morning. But each of those days, Friday and Saturday, winds uh, gusting 20 to 25 miles per hour out of the north each day. And, and then Sunday also gusting over 20 miles an hour out of the north. And so uh, that's going to be a big factor as far as how cold it is on Saturday. But the bigger factor, Woody, is for the golfers, all, all the, par, the par fives, especially 13 and 15, are playing back into the wind. So I don't think you're going to see a whole lot of people hitting 13 and 15 in two shots. Uh, you know, this is one time, Craig, I'm glad it's a smaller field because, yeah, I'm thinking, listen, that forecast, boy, it's going to be tough to get everybody finished if you get any kind of substantial rain, okay? The wind, the wind at Augusta is n- notorious for, as you well know, my friend, it moves in and out of that valley and swirls. And, um, you know, I would never say it. I, if I had a chance to be playing this week, I'd be there in a heartbeat. But, boy, they're in for a long four days because that is going to be a tough test of golf in the next four days. It's going to be a little bit nicer weather on Thursday, T-Dub. And then, you know, once you get into the weekend, it's going to get harder and harder. That's why I think that the winner of this golf tournament could possibly, and we'll preview the, the players after the break, but, I mean, just the type of play player um, and the type of golf tournament we might get, I think that the, the winner might come from behind because of the crazy conditions we might get on Sunday. Well, I've heard a lot of people talking about this week, bringing up the 2007 year, right, where Zach Johnson beat Tiger by a couple shots, and it was notorious for being really cold that year, and Zach Johnson laid up on every par five, played the par five, I believe, 11 under for that week. So, I mean, he that, that's kind of been the comparison that you see, right? And I'm, I'm under the boat of Augusta. It's going to play a lot differently throughout the four days. So I'm, I'm looking more at guys who have played the course in abundance amount of time and guys that really have good course history there. I think that's going to be even more prevalent than, than just the bad weather. I do think the bad weather does give a higher opportunity to, to the shorter hitters, right? Because especially over the last few years, it seems like that the, the long hitters have been able to really overpower a lot of those. Holes. One of the reasons why they decided to move 13 back the way it is. So I'm very interested to see how, as Huffman was saying earlier, how those par fives are going to play. Because if it's cold like this and 90% of the field is going to have to lay up, I think it definitely opens up the door for more players. So I think that the weather, I'll put it this way. I think that maybe instead of a list of 15 to 20 players that could win the tournament, I think it moves up to about 25, maybe even 30 potentially. But at the same time, I still think guys like Rory who are hitting at 330 off the D-box are still going to have an advantage because they're just going to still be playing. Of course, it's playing longer, but it's going to be shorter than them. So 
I, I don't know, man. Are you kind of along the same lines as me? Do you think this opens up the door more for people? Or do you think it's going to be the same stuff that we always do? I, I definitely think it opens up uh, the tournament to more people. Weather-wise, I can tell you that the last time that we had a Monday finish was 1983, 40 years ago. was the last time uh, that we had a Monday finish. I was riding in the car with Scott Mishaw, who, who was a longtime columnist uh, here in Augusta. Now he's working uh, for a newspaper out of Ireland. Uh, but he reminded me of that today. Sam, I think you were talking about 2019, the year that Tiger won. Play was suspended uh, on Friday afternoon, a little after 5 o'clock uh, due to lightning. Uh, resumed about 30 minutes later. But but anyway, uh, they pushed the tee times up on, on uh, Sunday of that year. Going back to 2005, the year that Tiger won in 2005, the start of the first round was delayed to 1.30. And so they had a two-tee start. And anyway, it ended up on, on Saturday – they had to resume the, the second round, two teams start and so forth. Play was suspended with 44 players on the course on Saturday because of darkness. Had to come back, finish that round on Sunday morning. That's the year the Tiger beat DeMarco in the playoffs. And so, uh, you know, Scott Michaud was saying that that really that the important thing is if they can get through Friday on schedule – they'll figure out a way to get it done on the weekend. The, the, the worst thing would be if they're behind going into Saturday, right, Woody? Yeah, that's what I was thinking too, Craig. And that it, it's a short field to begin with, which helps. And then the cut is a very small cut. Uh, there's not a lot of guys that make the cut at the Masters. So if they can get through that Friday, you're right. You're spot on, my friend. Or if they can just get where they got to finish a few guys Saturday morning, with that few guys left in the field, depending on what that number is and how many make the cut, it still should be a lot more than maybe 50, 55 guys tops. You can get a lot of rounds. You can get a lot of people around uh, when it's that small a number. So uh, uh, the, the weather is going to be a factor, but I, I hope it's not a Monday finish. I really and, want to finish it on Sunday. And starting in 2020, it's the low 50 and ties that qualify – uh, for the final uh, 36 holes. From from 2003 to 2019, it was low 15 ties and anyone within 10 shots of the lead. Now it's just the low 15 ties. And from, from 1962 to 2012, it was low 44 uh, and those within uh, 10 shots of the lead. But right now it's just low 15 ties. Low 50 and ties. I I don't mind that just at Augusta National. Woody, I do want to ask one follow-up since you played the golf course do you think the course plays harder with the north wind that we might see on Sunday, or does just 13 and those holes into the wind play harder? Well, it's kind of crazy, Sam. That's a great question because you got so many holes like 11 and 12, which are normally kind of back into the wind, which are tough little swirling holes, 12 especially. Four, the long par three is almost straight down wind. So I don't know. I, I always looked at Augusta. What I, I got to play one time, but I I, I would tell you this: it's kind of like Oklahoma in a lot of ways. What do we build our golf course for? A prevailing south wind. Okay, the Augusta was kind of built that way, in my opinion. I, I I don't know that for sure. Bobby Jones built. I don't know what he was thinking, but they don't have the wind that we do either most of the time. Sounds like this weekend could get really interesting, guys. If that wind's 20, 25 miles an hour, 
and you've got some swirling in those trees, that golf course is diabolical. Don't don't let it fool you. They they're going to have some troubles with it. I'll just tell you that. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I can't wait to see it. I agree with T-Dub that I think it brings a few more players in, but I still think the top ball strikers will rise to the top. And I also think that uh, T-Dub putting gets a little more dicey when it's windy, especially on really undulated greens like we see at Augusta National. I know I'm saying that I like good ball strikers, but I'm also saying if you haven't putted good recently, I don't have much confidence to pick you considering that the wind is going to be up, which is only going to make putting harder. Explain to the listeners a little bit about what wind does when you're on the greens, especially on greens as fast as this. Well, that's a really good point, Sam, that I was going to make is that if you're playing on greens that are like a seven on the stiff meter, the wind doesn't have a whole lot to do with it. The only thing the wind will really have a lot of impact on is your actual stroke and your balance if it's blowing over about 20 miles an hour. But whenever you're, you're dealing with greens as undulating and as fast as these are, I mean, you can get a wind of five miles an hour, and it's going to have some impact on it. And we talk, like, for example, the notorious example is hole number 12, right, where the wind swirls and no one has any idea where it's going. It's like the old Tiger Woods video game where the wind meter would just literally do this circle. And that's pretty much what it's like. And it's the same thing on putting as well, because if you're not able to fully commit to it, and I think that's really the biggest part of it is not necessarily just being able to guess which way the wind and how much it'll affect it, but being able to trust it and commit to it. Because if you get over any toe with any type of hesitation, I, I think it's going to be really probably impossible for you to be able to make a good stroke. And that goes back to also the point I made earlier, uh, man, about having some course history here. Because you look, for example, like certain days on certain holes will play harder than others, right? So, like, for example, hole number six, whenever they have the pin up in the top right, that hole usually plays a good amount harder because if you miss that green anywhere to the right, it's one of the hardest shots you can have on the entire course. And if you miss left, it's in the bowl. So, but man, I think a lot of it has to do with not necessarily just how much the weather has an impact, but how the players will manage how the weather affects that day along with where the general hole location is on that hole in the particular round. And that's where I think the course uh, history and course knowledge is going to come to such a, a high effect this year. Good point. And then also, Woody, with the north wind, if they do have the north wind for three days, like it looks like they will, that kind of negates the advantage of the guys that have played there 10, 15 times or whatever with the south wind because it's a different course for them too, right, Woody? Oh, by far. Uh, this is, I think what you got this time, guys, is you got to look for guys that um, experience, even though they're going to play different wins, just experience and play major tournaments, patience. I'm going to tell you, that is going to be a huge word this week. The guy that doesn't get frazzled, doesn't let it get him. There's going to be a train wreck for almost every player. I think there will be. I think every player is going to struggle. But who can, who can you know, withstand the, 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 the bow and the arrows that hit them? You know what I mean? They're going to take some blows. They're going to take some blows. Some of them are going to bleed out. <laughs> Some, some are going to make it, and that's who's going to win. It's going to be the guy that can handle all those ups and downs of what that golf course, let alone trying to win a, a Masters title. It, let's say it's going to be hard, but now we're trying to win probably one of the biggest events for any golfer that ever plays. I mean, I know Gary Player and Jack Nicklaus said it's their fourth if they list all the majors. Yeah, I wonder if they'd feel that way if they hadn't won that one uh, because <laughs> – <laughs> you know, if, if you win it, it, yeah, okay, yeah, it's great. But if you've never won it, like a lot of guys haven't that don't go good 
the champions dinner don't get to come back and play. I don't know. It's still a pretty doggone big event. Well, that's a perfect transition, Woody. I do think the weather's going to be a big factor this week. We'll talk a little bit more of that when we get into our preview after the break. Um, But I do want to talk a little bit with Dad because you were the one down there all day today, Tuesday at Augusta. We had a bunch of player interviews today. Um, You know, we heard from Rory McIlroy, John Rahm, Tiger Woods. What was the vibe there? And then we have some other events obviously going on tonight that we'll get to in a second. But did you learn anything from some of the interviews that you heard today, Dad? I would say the main thing I've learned this week, I mean, obviously a, a big topic of conversation is number 13. The tee's been moved back 35 yards at number 13. Now, they would have the ability to move them forward some, like Tiger said, and I would anticipate that, especially if it's dead into a north wind. But Woody, most of the talk on 13 centered on the fact that where, the, where they're going to be hitting that second shot from now, in the... 220, 225 range, maybe 230 for some guys. But the point is, it's going to be off that hanging light. And you know that fairway, Woody, I mean, it's got a a sharp slope from right to left. And in the past, they were able to drive it into the area of the big slope, and then it would feed down into the flat. Now, they're driving into uh, into the flat, and it feeds into the slope. And so you're talking, Roy said, you're talking about having the ball maybe as much as like 18 inches above your feet. And so it's one thing to be hitting a seven or eight iron off a hanging lie. It's a, another thing to be hitting a four iron off a hanging <laughs> lie, four or five iron. And that's why a lot of guys say if they have, and I don't know what the number is, Woody, the dividing line, but most of them have some dividing line around the 220, 225 mark or whatever. And if it's more than that, they're just going to lay up because they don't trust having to hit that even a five iron off a hanging lie like that well and i don't blame them i wouldn't want to do it either but but you know craig they did did they not i thought they softened the left side of that green just a little bit where it's not as big of slope from the left side down to the right side and i might be wrong that's that's the rumor i heard is they had softened that green a little bit when they pushed that key back just okay. so those guys would have a little bit, oh, maybe they'd be a little froggier and trying it because, you know, that's the only thing that worried me, Craig. I, I just, that was part of the back nine at Augusta. 13 and 15 is where a lot of stuff happens, a lot. And uh, for all those years that I watched it, I, I mean, and it, it's good and bad. I, I watched well, Nicholas Eagle 15, you know, and, and, and all the Eagles we've seen on 13. Um I just hope they don't turn those into where there's not a little bit of excitement on that back nine. Well, and that's what Ken Venturi always told us, right, Woody, is the great thing about 15, uh, 13 and 15 is you can make six different numbers very easily. I mean, anywhere from three, four, five, six, seven, or eight. And that's yeah. what Tiger was saying today. Tiger was saying, I think you're going to see a lot more fours and fives on, on 13 guys right. laying up, so they're not going to bring the big number into play but also the Eagles not going to be in, in play as much. And it gets back to what you were talking about last week, Sam, with the differential on these holes. And 13 and 15 were up near the top of that list on the differential in, in scores. You know, mm-hmm. where, like you were saying, number four, even though it's a hard par three, 
there wasn't much differential there because everyone either made a three or a four, right? Exactly. That's the question I was going to ask T-Dub. I don't think we're going to see if they do play the T-Box all the way back on 13 and all the way back on 15, I don't think we're going to see players separate themselves on those holes the way they have in the past. It seems like that every single winner of the Masters plays you know, obviously plays 12 great, but then he plays 13 great, and then he plays 15 great. Rarely do we see a guy screw up on 13 or 15 and go on to win the green jacket, T-Dub, and and that's what I don't like about the T-Box being 35 yards farther back is, yeah, I think what you're going to see on Sunday when guys really get under pressure and and those hands are shaking and those hands are sweaty, I think they're just going to pull a three-wood out, hit it out to the right, say I was going to lay up anyways and not even take on that tee shot. I mean, we heard today, T-Dub, in one of the interviews in the flash area that uh, maybe it was yesterday, but Dustin Johnson said he hit his Sunday best and still was kind of debating on whether he would go for this in a golf tournament. I like the drama, and I like the big swings that we can have on 13. That's why I don't like the change. If, for some reason, you did have a south wind and you wanted these guys to be hitting you know, a 6-iron, a 5-iron, or a 4-iron even, I'm fine with that. But I don't want to see these guys hitting three woods in like the dinosaurs did back you know, 100 years ago. I don't care about that. It's been great the last 20 years is what I care about. T-Dub, I don't know. Maybe I'm just not a golf historian the way some people are. I think we're going to look back on this change, and at least initially look on it just after this tournament. And we're going to look at 13 the way that we did 15 last year. And I think that's going to be sad. I mean, last year on 15, there was no eagle made in any of the four rounds. I mean, that's just an absolute joke. I mean, just, just to make the point that you were talking earlier, Sam, about whole volatility. For example, 13, 15, and 12 are the three most essentially volatile holes. And the three most non-volatile holes are 4, 6, and 9. So the reason I bring that up is that you don't really look at the four, six, or nine and think, oh, man, those are absolute game-changing holes when it comes to the makers, to the, to the Masters. But you look at 13, 100% a game-changer. So is 15, and so is 12. And then next on that list is 16. So it's just I, – I feel like that what this change can do is – are they trying to bring the integrity of the hole back? Yes. And, and do I think that maybe over the course of five to ten years, is it going to be such a bad change? No, I really don't think so. But I think for this year, when you include the wind – and the fact of, like, for example, with the distance debate, everyone's planning for 15, 20 years down the road. Well, we're not 15, 20 years down the road yet. We're living our current day. And guys can hit the ball an absolute mile. I saw the DJ Championship out absolutely far. These guys can hit it. But if you got these colder, wetter conditions, not very many people are going to go for that hole. They might if it's on a flat line, but you're basically essentially playing T-ball. For 220 yards out, you're going to have a lot of guys lay up. I'll be very fascinated to see what last year's go-for percentage was versus this year. Because, yep. Sam, I have a bad feeling that if it's a lot drastically worse than it is, and then we'll be able to look at the whole volatility, right? And we can say, oh, well, mostly everyone's just making a birdie or a par if they lay up. You'll have your guys that make your bogey or double because they hit it in the creek, and they would have done that no matter where the tee box is, right? But you're not going to have the Eagles and, and the the Sunday wars, right, from the Eagles. What, are you going to have a Sunday war with a birdie on 13 or 15? No, it's boring. So, yes, I think I'm, I'm – Maybe not as strongly because I think eventually down the road, Sam, I think it will be a good change. But at least for this year in particular, I don't think it's going to work out very well. And I do hope that for at least a few rounds, they do move the T-boxes up. Yeah, and I do want to ask the older guys here, my dad and Woody, 
what, Dad, I'll start with you. Do you think is more important? Do you think it's more important to bring the integrity of the whole back? Or do you think it's more important to have fireworks on Sunday? Because I think you can't have one with the other. Well, I, I love the fireworks on Sunday. I, I do think it's important to bring the integrity of the hole back, though. Like, like Harris English said this week, that hole was designed, Woody, to hit, to hit a driver off the tee and then have a shot between, you know, 225, 235 left into the green to have the risk and the reward and so forth. So I like seeing the risk reward. Like, like someone said the other day, if, if guys are just, hitting seven irons, I think Jordan Spieth said it, but he said, if if you're just hitting a seven or eight iron into 13, well, you're going to hit it and hit the green. There's no risk in, in hitting that shot. Where's the drama there? But there is some drama when a guy pulls a, a three or four iron out and is hitting off the hanging line there, and it brings the water into play. So I, I do like that part of it, Sam. We'll just have to see and see how it plays out. I think you're spot on there, huh? And, and what it really comes down to, guys, is it's up to the guys, the masters, tournament organization, people running the golf tournament. Look at the weather. If, if the if the ground's real soft and the wind's out of the north, and you want people to still try it, they're going to have to move the tee up as far as they can. Okay, and that's just using your brain. I mean, you know, the, the weather's what the weather is. You know what you're going to get. You can set a golf course up knowing what it's going to do. I just think the back nine in the last few years, guys, has gotten too long. I mean, I don't like 11 anymore. I thought 11 was a little bit more fun when they got it down there a little bit further. And they now I see a lot of guys bailing out to the right and just playing the smart shot, which I don't blame them. Uh, 18, they've got it so far back there. And I, I get it. Tiger was blowing it right over those bunkers. Um, I, you know, they've even changed 17. They've just changed. 17, too. Favorite. You're right, Woody. 17 yeah, they, is a big change. That used to be more of a birdie hole, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, I still go back to, I'm, I'm dating myself in 86 when Nicholas shot 30 on the back nine. I've never had more fun watching the, the end of a golf tournament. I, I was in California at the time. I kept running back into the men's grill because there was a guy in there from Spain that was pulling for Seve Ballesteros. And every time he didn't want the water, Nicholas Birdie, I'd run in there and go, ah, the Golden Bear's going to get him. Golden Bear's going to get him. So, I mean, I just love that about that back nine. So, I'm kind of old school. I, I Sometimes I don't care that they can shoot six under. I mean, that's what makes a golf tournament fun. Yeah, guys, there's no doubt about that. We are definitely going to find out whether we love or hate the changes at 13, and I think that the weather is even going to make that a little bit more exciting, or it's going to accentuate whether we love or hate 13 come the weekend. I do want to say thank you to one of our new sponsors. That's Groove It Brush, uh, the dry scrubber at the Mini G. And uh, Groove It Brush, our man Clint Sanderson, an Oklahoma-based company, and they had the Groove It Brush on every single bag at the ANWA. Rose Zhang was using a Groove It 
Groovit brush or her caddy uh, was using a Groovit brush this weekend at Augusta. It's the greatest club cleaner ever made. And you might remember that Groovit was one of our partners at one time and they still have that same great product that shoots the water out of the brush, but they have this new product called the Mini G and you got to try it out. It's the same magnet and it goes on your bag. It's smaller with the best bristles in the world, the heavy duty nylon bristles. Okay. As I mentioned earlier, fellas, this is an Avengers podcast where we are going to the depths of everywhere to find all of our golf knowledge this week. We are reuniting the 73rd Hole Podcast for Masters Week, bringing in our man Colby Powell of the Golf Channel to talk about this Masters. And Colby, I got to start here. I mean, I cannot remember a year where there were so many storylines, whether it be Obviously, the Live versus the PGA Tour, Tiger coming back to Augusta, or Phil coming back to Augusta, or the play of Rory and Rom and Scheffler, obviously. You have so many storylines leading into this Masters, Colby. What do you think the top storyline is headed into this week? Boys, it is so good to hear your voices. It is so good uh, to be on with you. The top storyline? Man, the top storyline. I think it's... um. I think it's probably Scheffler, Rory, Rom, and whether those three are going to have a better week or whether DJ, Cam, and Brooks are going to have a better week. I, I think that's the top storyline because you've got your, your three elites on the PGA Tour side that have been doing it all year, and you've got your three on the live side that, I mean, obviously we haven't seen as much of them, but we still know that they're among the best players in the world. We still know exactly where they slot in because we kind of haven't seen it in a while. So I think that the, the big three on if you want to call it the world stage, the tour stage, whatever you want to call it, and then kind of what I would personally consider to be the big three on the live side, I think that's probably, just in terms of storylines, the biggest story coming into the league. Colby, I get that. That's all cute and all, but but we know the biggest storyline between you and me in particular is Tiger Woods and how he's going to play. We had his press conference today. What do you make of Tiger's outlook going into this match? I think it's going to be cold, guys. I think Mother Nature has made the decision for us on whether Tiger Woods is going to be able to compete this weekend. It's really unfortunate that Tiger makes these comebacks at Augusta in back-to-back years, and it's like, where's the 75 and sunny in the middle of April in Georgia? That's all we want is a little 75 and sunny, and we're not going to get it. High on Saturday is 53. It's going to be raining. Maybe they'll get lucky, and it'll just rain it out Saturday, and there will be no golf. Uh, Thursday is supposed to be a high of 86, but the weekend is going to be so cold. I do think that he'll get off to a decent start. I think he's going to make the cut. I don't think it's going to be some sort of disaster like St. Andrews was last year. But, man, when that cold hits on the weekend, guys, I just don't think that his body can handle that anymore. You're talking about, I mean, he's got as much metal as he does cartilage in his body. And he's out here competing against guys in their 20s and 30s who are swinging 125 miles an hour. And, and when those temperatures drop below, you know, 60, and then they creep below 50, and you throw a little wind in there and a little moisture, you know, I, I – want Tiger to play well. I want him to contend. I just think that for that to happen at this point in his career, it's going to take the perfect storm in terms of his game, the course, and the weather and the conditions all lining up just right. And I don't think that that's happening this week. You know, Colby, you are spot on because I'm not Tiger's age, but let me tell you something. I have a new rule and uh, if it's not 70 or higher, I don't, I'm not golfing anymore. It hurts. <laughs> It hurts, and I got I got no metal in me. 
Uh, okay, so I hated it this weekend that that weather turned that bad because I was really looking forward to seeing if if that leg could go seventy two holes and him be in contention again. And uh, you know, uh, another year at Augusta is going to go by without giving him a real fighting chance just because of weather. I think you're right, and and I'm hopeful, guys, that this summer. Uh, whenever we travel across the pond and head to Liverpool, I'm hopeful that we get some better weather there because that's a track where I think, you know, obviously Tiger has some history there. I, I think he could play well there, but I really think weather is going to be a big factor the remainder of his career. No, I totally agree, and it's definitely going to be a factor this week. Colby, before you got on, we were talking about how the weather might affect the changes at number 13. Uh, give us a couple thoughts on what do you like the change? Is it a thumbs up or is it a thumbs down moving the tee box 35 yards back? I, you know, just to tell you what we said before you hopped on here, I think it might take some of the fireworks away. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's interesting because last year, obviously, they moved it back on 15. And I don't know if y'all remember our conversations after that, but I, I really thought that it ruined the hole. Now, it played into a headwind all week. It was cold, so it didn't really play how it was supposed to play. But 15 was my favorite hole on the course because of the risk-reward. If you go over the green, you have that chip. And I thought that the changes ruined 15 last year. I'm hoping it's better this year. I really I don't necessarily think it's going to be the same with 13. It has gotten to the point, Tiger even talked about, Today's press conference, he's like, the days of me, days of me hitting three wood eight iron into that green are long gone. And I thought it had just gotten to a point where that tee shot got so easy for these guys, and they were coming in with short irons if they're longer hitters, mid irons even if they're shorter hitters. I just felt like for everybody, that was a relatively simple par four, and it comes two holes after number 11, which was much more of a monster than number 13. I, I think that this could set us up uh, for a situation where guys are going to have four or five iron in instead of seven or eight iron. And when you got that hanging lie right there, I mean, they're going to have the ball 12, 18 inches above their feet with a five iron. And on Sunday afternoon with a little breeze blowing, now you've got to decide, okay, can I take this on with a five iron? Um, I think we're going to see more layups, which could take some of the fire out of it. But for the guys who are able to hug that left side without ending up in Ray's Creek, I, I think we could see some guys go for it and maybe get a little more variance because it felt like the last few years on Saturday and Sunday, it just felt like every single guy who came through was making three or four. I think instead of that being the case, everybody's going to make three, four, or five. I think there's going to be a lot more pars with layups and trying to get it close with, with all the ridges and stuff on the green uh, with a wedge. So I'm cautiously optimistic that it's not going to take the excitement away from that hole. But kind of like 15 last year and seeing it in different conditions, uh, I think until we see it in multiple conditions, we're not really going to know. Colby, earlier when you were talking about the, the big three players, Rory, uh, Scheffler, and Rahm, I want to get into Rory real quick because I don't think people quite understand what a win at Augusta would do for his career. There are only five players who have ever won the career Grand Slam in golf. Gene Sarazen, Ben Hogan, Gary Player, Jack Nicklaus, Tiger Woods. Here's just a, a list of some players who have not won the career Grand Slam. Walter Hagen, Byron Nelson, Phil Mickelson, Sam Snead, Arnold Palmer, Lee Trevino, Raymond Floyd, Tom Watson. I mean, is Rory ready to get in that elite group of company? Can you just explain to people how elite of a group he would get in if he won this tournament? Yeah, here's how I can explain it to you. He is going to go down as one of the best players of all time. He is maybe the next legendary player post-Tiger because we've had great players post-Tiger. 
Listen, I'm talking about legendary. I'm talking about a guy with more than five majors, nearing that double digits, getting up there in the 30s and 40s in terms of tour wins. That legendary guy who comes back to Augusta for 40 years and hits the ceremonial tee shot and just is around. And that pressure has weighed on Rory McIlroy. We're going on, what is this now, going to be his 12th try to complete the career grand slam? I think that's right, but you'll have to uh, correct me if that's Maybe it's his ninth try. Um, but anyway, he, he's been trying for nearly a decade now to complete the career grand slam, and I think it weighs on him. I think that he's been too cautious on Thursdays. You know, the only guy since 2005 to have won this tournament are not inside the top ten after the first round is Tiger Woods. He did it in 05, and he did it in 19. Every other Masters champion in the last 18 years I've been inside the top 10 after Thursday. You cannot go out there and play it safe and try to get it around in 71 or 72 and then put the pedal to the metal on the weekend. That's just, I mean, the back nine on Sunday is fun, but you're not chasing from way back if you don't get off to a good start. I think Rory needs to start well. And, yeah, Masters win would put him um, in the pantheon with some of the greats in the history of the game. Uh, I do think that he is that level of player. I think he's shown that he's that level of player, but... He's got one more to check off the list. I think the fact that it's the first major of the year, the fact that it's the Masters, I think that puts even more pressure on it. You know, Jordan needing the PGA, that's not as big of a conversation topic every year. It's a conversation, but it's not the same massive anvil that's weighing Rory down of, okay, we're at the Masters. It's the second weekend in April. Are you ready yet, dude? Um, I don't know if this is the week. He's playing great. He played great down in Austin. Um, But, yeah, I, I think that it's weighing very heavy on him because that, this is the one that would elevate him to a level that no one ever again could question anything about Rory McIlroy on the golf course in between the ropes. Real quick, before you go, I just want to bring up, because he makes a really good point about the time of year of this, because of the five players who have won the career Grand Slam, the only person to have completed at Augusta was Gene Sarazen in 1935 when he hit the, the shot hard around the world, which actually had to win in a playoff after double England. So, just to put Colby's point into perspective, as those five players, only one has done it, and it's been uh, upwards of 90 years since that. One of the things, Sam, that Colby's spot on, let me just say, guys, he has had some opportunities there, guys, so that have slipped through his fingers. So there is some scar tissue building up. If you looked at, if you looked at Arnold Palmer trying to win a PGA, the pressure, the pre- I mean, it, it just grew and grew and grew, didn't it? Phil Mickelson trying to win that Open. As those years went by, it grew and grew and grew. So he, he needs to get it done. That caliber of player, I, I totally agree with what Kobe's saying, he needs to get it done because with each year you come and you fail again, oh, my, does that get tough then. Ooh. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt about it. And I think that this year's Masters sets up better than any other major since 2014 for Rory McIlroy. I can't believe I'm saying this, guys, but I've told uh, T-Dub on the radio show and I've told Woody on the podcast, Colby, that, yes, if you if you would have told me two months ago that I would put John Rahm third on the list of Rory Scheffler and John Rahm, you, I would have thought you were crazy, right? I mean, as well as John Rahm was playing at the start of the year, but he has had some driver woes and, and aiming left with the lower body, and, and he's been double-crossing that beautiful fade that he normally hits. And then, obviously, Scotty Scheffler 
is playing the best golf in the world right now. But the problem is, is that he won here last year. That would be a historic win for him to win back-to-back green jackets. And so I'm saying that what I saw from Rory last week at the match play, and sometimes weeks before, I don't necessarily put a whole lot of stock into. But with Rory, I do because he wasn't confident with his driver, even though his stats weren't that bad. He did shorten the length of the shaft of his driver. He was hit the driver great in Austin and then he changed to the blade putter and I thought that he really did make some clutch putts at some clutch moments at the match play I think that this week sets up better for Rory McIlroy than it does for John Rahm or Scotty Scheffler do you think I'm crazy for saying that Colby I, I don't think you're crazy if we were looking at 75 and sunny for four days I was fully prepared to pick Rory McIlroy with the weather being what it's going to be over the weekend, I look at the conditions and I look at the two players who I think right now are the best in the world. Most people do as well, Scotty Scheffler and Rory McIlroy. And with the weather, I think that this tournament is going to be won by whoever makes the most six-footers for, six for par on Saturday and Sunday. If you're asking me right now who do I trust more over a six-footer for par on Saturday and Sunday to win the Masters, it's Scotty Scheffler. I mean, I love me some Rory McIlroy, but Scotty Scheffler is just a wizard with his hands around the greens. We've seen him win in so many different conditions on so many different golf courses over the past 14 months. Like just 75 and sunny where Rory could go out and hit 75% of the greens in regulation. I think I would pick Rory. If it's going to get nasty and a little bit dicey on this weekend, man, I, I, if I'm going to have my money on it, I want it over on Scotty Scheffler standing over one of those six-footers because – that dude just rams him in the heart, and for whatever reason, Rory, at this particular tournament, trying to capture this slam, he has had trouble with that. So um, by the narrowest of margins, I think I'm going to actually lean Scotty. Hey, I don't hate that. He's striking the ball better than anybody in the world, Colby. I do want to ask one little quick follow-up about one thing that you said. You said that he would be the next legend in the game of golf since Tiger Woods. I think he needs to win here this week to do that because you can't have a period of time over a decade where you have so many major championships in your hands and let it slip away. We saw it three times last year. I mean, in the last major championship, he got outdueled by his competition, a live golfer. That's Cam Smith. And so I think that too many of those instances have happened with Rory McIlroy for me to call him the next legend he's a great but he's also let a lot of majors slip away um what are your thoughts on that and what does Rory McIlroy have to do under pressure in your opinion to kind of change that narrative that once he gets up there in the last decade or so he kind of lets the tournament get away from him yeah no you're not wrong it's it's hard with Rory because he came out so young and he burst onto the scene so young Rory's 33 years old right now. So your, your point about a decade plus in between majors is valid, but if Rory bursts onto the scene with four majors by the time he's 24 years old and then he doesn't win one for, let's say, 12 years and then he wins four more over a span of five years, then, I mean, he, he's going to kind of rewrite how we look at these things because the excellence was so high at such a young age. And then it's like, just from a major championship perspective, it's like, where did it go? Where, where did that excellence go? Rory talked earlier about talking to his, to his coach, I don't know, his mental coach or putting coach or whatever. He's like, dude, you're standing over these putts. You've just got to pretend you're six years old again. 
I mean, at six years old, you're not doing aim point. You're not getting down and reading it from all these different sides. It's instinct because you love golf and you just see it. You just hit it. And I feel like Rory has gotten to the point where he is in his head about winning a major championship. And I think that he worked through kind of uh, making himself the, the spokesman of the PGA Tour. I think that he probably put a little bit more pressure on himself uh, to go out and get it done. Um yeah, I, I don't know long-term how we're going to be discussing Rory in 10 years, but I, I don't know. I think if he completes the slam this week, it would do more for his legacy. But if he completes it in five years, I, I still think that we're going to look at it and say, you know, one of five players ever to have the slam uh, and, and still a legendary player. Because I, I consider, I mean, Phil's older than Tiger, so that's kind of the same era. So who's that next guy? Who, who's the next guy that we're going to look at and say, that's him, he was the one post-Tiger. Maybe it's Rory, maybe it's Scotty Romsby. I don't know, but uh, yeah, it, it would go a long way for him to do it this week for sure. I, I agree with what Cole was saying because if, if at any point he wins the Masters and, and becomes the sixth player to have the career grand he's going to get put into that legendary stats. I really don't care if he's 65 when he does or if it happens this week. I think the case is the same. But, but Colby, we, we've, we've talked a lot about the big three and some favorites. Are there any players who people maybe want to throw out in their one-and-done pool and throw in some draft teams that you're a little hesitant on? And is there anyone who who you're really, really fading and saying, I will not take that guy any chance this week? Uh, okay, so a, a high-level guy that a lot of people like that I'm just totally out on this week is Colin Morikawa. Um, he was running – was he runner-up last year? Or he was runner-up? I can't remember Morikawa was C2. He held yeah, on Morikawa was like fifth or sixth. He hold, remember, he held down the, in the bunker shot along with Rory. Yep. But Rory was solo fifth. Okay, I couldn't remember if Morikawa was to tie as well. He was so, solo fifth. Um, solo fifth, cool. So, uh, played great here last year. He's had some good form this year. But one thing I've kind of noticed about Morikawa, just watching him over the years, I think that Morikawa really liked himself a 75 and sunny day with very little wind. Uh, you know, he won out at Harding Park. Those were pretty calm conditions. The Open Championship that he won, oh, look at the leaderboard. Remember the conditions. That week, it was calm. The wind wasn't blowing. It was a driving range target practice. This is not going to be driving range target practice at Augusta National. The conditions are going to get nasty. I think he is very much a, a point-aim-shoot guy and less of a feel guy. I would say Morikawa would probably be my fade. Um, so some guys just outside the big three that I like. Uh, Tony Finau plays great here. He's got four top tens. Uh, he's playing good golf. Patrick Cantlay doesn't play well at majors all the time. But man, it, the data likes him. The analytics look good. He was there in 19 and had a chance before he faded. So Keenow, Cantlay, are those guys kind of outside the big three? Uh, I'm curious. Have y'all talked about this yet? Does anybody have love for Jordan this week? I mean, I mean, it feels like he should have four green jackets and he has one. We has haven't talked. We haven't talked about any Jordan? players yet. We're going to do it after the break. Give us your thoughts on Jordan. Man, I, I think that it could either he could be a hero or a hero this week, and it makes him terrifying to play. And it makes him exciting to play in your lineup. I, I truly believe that he could miss the cut by four shots, and we're sitting here going, what in the hell is wrong with Jordan Spieth? I also think he could go out and just be a wizard and make a bunch of 25-footers, and he's in contention on the back nine on Sunday. Uh, if I had to lean one way or the other, I actually think he's probably more likely to play well this week. He's, he's had some good results already this year. Uh, he's got a little loose with it at times, but that's just kind of Jordan and what he does. So. Um, if I had to guess, I would say that he's going to play well this week. But I, I think any time you run out Jordan Speed, it is just a guess. 
There's no doubt about that. Colby, I actually, I, I like where your head's at headed into this Masters. I agree with you on a lot of those players. I'll get to my players after the break. Um, I do want to ask you, I mean, how do you think that these live guys are going to do? I do have to needle you a little bit. I was listening to the Golf Channel, heard Mark Rolfing say that we don't know how good Cam Smith might have been, talking about him in the past tense. I mean, do you think that uh, since... Cam Smith and Dustin Johnson and some of these live guys made the transition that they just forgot how to play 72 holes. Do you think that any of them will have a good week? Uh, oh, absolutely I do. It, it's kind of a numbers game, right? But 18 of them here. Like, if somebody's like, ah, these live guys don't stand a chance. I'm like, there's not two of them showing up. They're, they're showing up in a caravan. There's 18 of them. They're going to play well. I, I think that Cam, there's some, some rumblings that he's been dealing with a wrist or a hand. I'm not sure what it is, but Seems re-energized. He seems like he wants to play golf. Dustin just doesn't give an f about what anybody thinks. He's just going to go out and do his thing. Um, I, I think that Dustin could really have a chance to be around Sunday afternoon. I know Brooks is kind of the trendy guy because he won last week in uh, where that Orlando. But I don't know. I just I haven't seen it enough from Brooks on the big stage, and I feel like he's putting a lot of pressure on himself to prove everybody wrong and all this stuff. And I just don't think DJ cares about proving everybody wrong. I think DJ's going to go out. I think he's going to be DJ. I think he's going to hit a bunch of fairways. He'll make a few putts from time to time. And I think overnight Saturday into Sunday, I think DJ will be within a few, and he will be a part of the conversation on Sunday. Um, yeah, no, I mean, there, there's 18 of them there, and I fully expect a handful of them to play up to their potential and their skill level. Um, because, yeah, just because they're kind of out of sight, out of mind, doesn't mean they don't know how to play golf anymore. So, uh, I mean, y'all know me. I'm not beating the live drum or anything. I'm also not going to sit here and tell you 18 of them are going to miss the cut or finish T47 because uh, that just doesn't make any sense. They can still play golf, and I expect a handful of them to be around on Sunday. Hey, T-Dub, I think we got to ask Colby uh, to kind of be the arbitrator here. Colby, normally we do three picks and a dark horse, um, but the dark horse is normally outside the top 25 in the world. I mean, is that still considered a dark horse when Dustin Johnson's ranked 69th in the world? I mean, how should we actually clarify what a dark horse is? And I'm kind of beating around the bush here, but T-Dub and I, I, I don't know what we should do as far as the dark horse this year. I mean, number one, what do you think we should do? And number two, I mean, the official world golf ranking question mark, Colby? Uh, I think that it's very simple on what to do about the dark horse situation. Just use common sense. Dustin Johnson can't be your dark horse. Cam Smith can't be your dark horse. I would even go as far as to say Brooks Kepka can't be your dark horse. Now, anybody else outside the top 25 in the world that's on live, I, I could see an argument for them being a dark horse. But I think it's just a common sense scenario, boys. You can't run out Dustin Johnson as a dark horse because everybody knows that's goofy. Just to make their point earlier about the live players, I think analytically there's like a 9.7% chance that a live player will win the Masters. So, Theoretically, that's like a 91% chance that a live player will not win the Masters. So I think, in all honesty, even any of those any guys, I think there'll be a lot of players to play well. So I think any of them to win would be a, a pretty big shock. And, Colby, that's what I want to ask you. We talked about this pretty extensively before we had you on, but, but the forecast coming up this weekend, we, there's a conversation a lot of people bringing up 2007 with Zach Johnson and he won. And I'm making the argument that with the weather being the way it is, I think Augusta's always known for its course history. It's actually one of the probably the biggest course uh, – course history horses for courses course that has ever been played and so do you, do you think that this opens the field up to some more players with the weather or, or do you think that it's just going to be the same people that we've seen every year because they know how to play them 
Uh, I think it's kind of going to be the same people. I, I understand the argument for it, opening it up. Uh, but the best players in the world are playing the best golf right now. And I really think perfect weather, I probably would have taken Ron Kepler and Rory against the field. Now, I'm not going to do that with, with the goofy weather because that could bring some other guys in. But I don't think you're going to see a, a, a 75 to 1 guy sneak up there. I want some guys who've been around more, you know, who played Augusta a bunch of times. Uh, you know, you look at a couple of young guys, Sam Burns and, and Cameron Young, who were in the finals of match play a couple of weeks ago. I don't know. Those guys haven't played a ton at Augusta. So you've got the current form, but they haven't played a lot uh, at, at the Masters. I think I'm going to go with some more veterans, not, not necessarily the old guys. I'm not going Tiger. I'm not going Phil. Um, but, uh, but I think if you can find some veterans, guys who played the Masters, you know, seven, eight-plus times, uh, you know, like a female that I mentioned earlier, I think that, that those guys are better bets because I do think uh, that having played this golf course in all the conditions over the years is going to help a ton whenever you tee off on Thursday afternoon and it's 84 degrees with a south wind, and then you tee off on, on you know, midday Saturday, and it's 48 degrees, and the rain is sitting, and that wind's out of the north, and it's biting, and the ball's not going anywhere. Uh, I think that, that that experience is going to be massive on the weekend. Okay, here's a guy that you, nobody said anything. Nobody on the podcast, nobody, even the home man, nobody. But I got a sneaky feeling about this dude this week, guys. And I don't like him, but Patrick Reed... I'm telling you guys, I think he's going to have a good week. And the reason why I do is because of the weather. And because if you think DJ doesn't give an F about anybody, this guy really doesn't. <laughs> I mean, this guy, he <laughs> thumb his nose at anybody and everybody. So I'm just curious to all of you guys, why is nobody mentioning him? Well, I mean, I, I was going to mention him next segment, but Colby, I'll let you go ahead on your thoughts about not just Patrick Reed, but maybe some other guys that might be brought into the golf tournament just because of the weather. Yeah, I think that I think that Patrick Reed could be easily construed as, you know, not giving a damn about anybody. I, I think it's actually kind of the opposite with Reed. I think he cares too much. I mean, he files lawsuits on anybody who says that, that his hat doesn't look pretty that day. I mean, that's libelous, that's slanderous, he's filing a lawsuit. Um, Whereas DJ's just like, ah, say what you want. I'm DJ. I'm rich. I'm married to Paulina. I don't care. You do you. Um, so I I think Patrick Reed gets his hand. He loves this golf course. Um, it was just a few months ago. I mean, him and Rory went head-to-head in Dubai. Rory had to make a 15-foot slider on the last hole to beat him by a shot. Um, now he did have a ball in a three that wasn't in the three, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, he likes this golf course. He's been around. He's a short-game wizard, which if the weather gets bad, that could come in handy. I I will say this, if, if Cameron Smith or if Dustin Johnson, if one of those guys wins, I'm, I'm not going to care. I'm not going to be all upset about that. If Patrick Reed wins, I'm going to be very upset, guys. I'm going to be downright angry, and I will feel like I, I have had my Masters week ruined just as I did. Uh, in, what was it? 17 or 18 when he wins. Yeah, yeah, that's how I really feel. Hey, I don't, well, I don't want him to win either. I'm telling you, I don't want him to win. Hey, I'm not going to disagree with Colby on that one guy. I think that we kind of heard that same sentiment, not only just from Rory McIlroy, but from the live guys as well, that a lot of people thought this was going to be some big controversial subject coming into the Masters and pretty much to a man, Colby. I, I think we've heard from not just live players, but PGA Tour players, it's not like that between the guys. Yes, maybe, like Rory said, between some guys, but I'm still cool with Brooks and DJ. We, I mean, Rory just played a practice round with Brooks this afternoon. Um, so I, I think that that 
part of the storyline between Liv and the PGA Tour was a little overblown. Um, I mean, do you agree with that, or do you think everyone's just kind of being respectful to Augusta National? Uh, no, I, I really think that the guys that everybody doesn't like are the guys that everybody already didn't like. Like Sergio, Sergio's never been that well-liked. I mean, M. Poulter's never been that well-liked. Uh, Patrick Reed's certainly never been well-liked. Nobody's ever had a problem with EJ, and I, I still don't think that they do. Nobody's ever had a problem with Cam Smith. I still don't think they do. Harold Horner, those guys, people don't have problems with those guys. Um, I, I do think that it's, you can't just put one blanket statement over everybody and have it be applicable to everybody. Like, oh, Rory doesn't like Liv, and him and Sergio aren't friends anymore, so that means Rory hates Brooks. Well, hold on now. Rory doesn't like Liv, and him and Sergio aren't friends anymore, but him and Brooks are friends. We don't, we don't have to use one broad brush to just say, you know, none of these guys are friends anymore. I do think some relationships have been fractured, but I think the idea that every tour player hates every live guy and every live guy hates every tour pro, um, no, I, I think that most of that is is even more so in, in the, the golf coverage world. It, it's the golf social media world uh, and group text with buddies and stuff. I think that stuff is overplayed a, a ton. Yes, some relationships have been fractured, but Rory and Brooks played nine holes today. Some of these guys are fine. Um, and, and these interpersonal relationships, we'll never know all the things that have been said uh, in private behind closed doors. Hell, we'll never know what they're saying tonight at the Champions Dinner, which I'm sure is civil and everybody's having fun and paying respect to Scotty. Uh, but no, I, I think that we should be careful, all of us, just as golf media, about saying, well, all the tour guys feel this way or all the live guys feel this way. I think the truth is somewhere in between. Some of them still get along, some of them don't. Colby, we've, we've already talked about a pretty extensive list of players already, but I feel like one of the quote-unquote analytical favorites, someone that we hadn't talked about yet, and I want your opinion on him, is Jason Day. I mean, analytically, he's the eighth favorite to win this tournament. And, and Colby, I remember him particularly, I think we were watching the 2015 PGA Championship together, and we're just looking at each other being like, dude, this is some of the best golf I've ever seen play. I mean, he's, he's in the 330 yards, and he's making every single putt he looks at. Crazy. And Jason Day is a player who wasn't even in the Masters last year, and this year, he's caught on and had one of the best years he's had since 2015. And we talked earlier about Tiger and the weather hurting Jason, hurting his back. Well, Jason Day has dealt with similar problems. What do you think of his outlook? Yeah, it's so Jason Day, right? To start playing well, and then with the match play, it's like, well, does he have vertigo or does he have allergies? Because vertigo is an allergy. <laughs> it's always and something. We're, we're, it's always something. We're trying to figure out what is wrong with Jason Day, and he ends up being okay. He's playing great golf. I love Jason Day. He's so fun to root for. He's so genuine whenever he speaks. Um, you know, he told a story about sitting by the side of the road a couple of years ago. I think it was the American Express. Whenever he got lost and he couldn't get his shuttle, and he just sat and stared at the mountains for like an hour and questioned whether he would ever get back to where he was and whether he could find and summon that greatness once again. And I, I root heavy, 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 heavy for Jason Day. I don't think this is the week. Cold, nasty on the weekend. He's been playing good golf. But at no point has he been, like, standing on the 16th tee on Sunday and it's like, all right, you play these last three holes one under and he's probably going to win the tournament. It's more like he's four back coming into the back nine and he'll make one birdie and kind of flirt and everybody gets excited and then he ends up finishing T7, which is great golf, but I think that there's a progression to it. I think I think we'll see Jason Day win a tour event uh, before we see him win a major. If he ever wins another major, they'll just hand those things out like Halloween candy. So I'm rooting heavy for Jason Day. I, I don't think it's in the cards this week. Colby, I appreciate your time today. Before I let you go, I got to just talk about some, you know, 
general subjects in the game of golf right now with you. I got to end the show with, I mean, people might be wondering what your thoughts are on some of this stuff because you don't come on with us on a weekly basis anymore. And so, number one, I mean, we've heard a lot about rolling the golf ball back. What are your thoughts about it? And we talked a whole lot about it when we started this podcast. I mean, you know where T-Dub and I stand on it. What are your thoughts on the recent things that have happened as far as rolling the golf ball back? Guys, my, my thoughts on the rollback are so lame, and I am so sorry to disappoint. Guys, I just I don't totally care if they roll the ball back for the professionals. I just really don't. Don't roll it back for me. I'm having a ton of fun playing golf. I'm playing as well as I ever have. I'm hitting the ball a mile. Don't you dare touch my golf ball. But Lori and Scotty and Rome, I don't know. I see all these other sports that roll it back. Um, you know, baseball, tennis, basketball, all these sports have rules on equipment and stuff that you can use. I understand the argument for it. I do think it's a little, I don't know if I want to say dangerous, but I don't think the timing is great because there's been this big golf boom. And, you know, when Bryson was at the height of his powers and he was at Bay Hill hitting it over the pond, that was exciting for fans. It was exciting on social media for young people to consume in 15 seconds, which is how you reach young people. And Rory, even at the match play two weeks ago, carries 349 yards on the front of the green to three feet. You know, could you move that tee up if you wanted it drivable? Yes. So I know I'm kind of fence-sitting. I, I preface this by saying it was lame. If they don't roll the ball back, I'm going to enjoy watching these guys just blast it down there a mile and then bring these golf courses to their knees and see how golf course setup can adjust to, to kind of evolve with distance. If they do roll it back, I'll enjoy kind of watching some of the premium ball strikers in the world probably have even more of an advantage because they're able to hit it in the center of the face so often uh, and not have it spin off so much. So I, I hate to be a fence sitter, and on most topics I go out of my way not to be a fence sitter, but on the rollback, I, it's not going to make me more or less of a golf fan either way. I don't think you'll be a fence sitter on this next topic. I mean, we got to ask you, Colby, the Golf Channel guy. <laughs> I mean, uh, what are your me. thoughts? <laughs> what are your thoughts on the PGA Tour and Live coexisting? And just take it from there. I don't even know where what question to ask you right now because we could not be more polar opposite when it comes to the live PGA Tour debate right now. So I do want our listeners to know we're unbiased and bringing Colby on. Uh, so when you say coexisting, do you mean like live players playing in four events or just the tour over here, the lives over here, and we meet up at the majors? No, I mean, I just mean like players like Taylor Gooch or Dustin Johnson or Cam Smith or Joaquin Neiman being able to get in majors to get official world golf ranking points. I mean, in the future, because that's I feel like they're trying to push those guys out. Yeah, I I don't know how you rank them, small fields and stuff. Um, I do think that the best players in the world uh, who've gone to live, I, I do think that they should be in the major championships. Like, I get why they're not playing on the tour. And from a business perspective, I agree with that because, you know, you got to do what you got to do to protect your product and let the courts work it out. The, the courts in Europe sided in favor of the DP World Tour. Who knows what the courts in America are, are going to do. But I do think it would be so weird if we're having the Masters this week and, and Cam wasn't there and DJ wasn't there and Brooks wasn't there. It, it would just, man, it would be odd. Now, the guy further down the board, and you, you talked, a friend of the show, uh, Taylor Goose, local guy right here. What, what does the game of golf do with a Taylor Goose going forward because you and I and, and all four of us five of us we're going to sit here and we're going to say DJ and Cam and Brooks these guys have to be in the majors it would be insane for them not to be and 
everybody around the golf world pretty much is going to agree. But then we get Taylor Gooch, and we're going to say, well, they've got to find a way to get him in the majors. But the guys who aren't from Oklahoma and haven't been watching Taylor Gooch since he was 14 years old might look at it and say, ah, I don't know if that guy's really earned his way in because we don't have contact for what they're doing on the live tour. So um, you've got to have a way for some of those guys to still be able to compete in major championships if the world golf ranking system uh, doesn't award them points. And I, I still don't know if they're going to. I, I think that they are staying steadfast to that one-year rule. I don't even know if they've opened the application uh, until June rolls around and, they, and they've been here for a year. But um, if they don't get points, Something has to be done to make sure that DJ and Cam and Brooke still have a path to get into majors because, man, if they just drop in the world ranking points and then their exemptions expire and then they're just gone, like, I mean, e- even me, and I'm, I'm the most steadfast pro tour anti-live guy there is, but I, I just feel like the majors are different. I feel like the majors need all the best players. I, I think having the live players there this week has created extra storylines. It's created extra drama. It's going to put extra eyeballs. Not that the Masters needs extra eyeballs, but just that extra drama, that added layer at the major championship, I think is good for the game of golf. Um, so, Colby, yeah, I, I should have asked. The, I should have. That's kind of where I'm at. Colby, I should have asked the question this way: What about Charles Howe the Third? We had him on, and he gave the suggestion that the top ten guys on Live get into majors. Would you have a problem with that? Uh, the top ten probably just because from a percentage standpoint, I mean that's twenty percent of your tour that you're letting in because it's small fields and stuff. Um, maybe five, maybe the top five. Um, I, I don't know though because then the problem too is that you've got uh, you know, PJ Tours run by the PJ Tour, Lives run by Lives. Each major is run independent of all the others. So if Augusta National decides let's let the five live guys in, and the USDA says to hell with that, and the RNA is like, well, we'll do it, and the PGA of America is like, nah, we're out. Then that's going to be even weirder and even more fractured. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think I did listen to the episode with Charles Howell. Uh, he, he was a good interview, and, and he, he came on with y'all for a while and gave you some great time, and he was awesome. Um, yeah, I, I think 10 might be too many, but I do think that that is probably a legitimate path in the future. Um, and then as far as what the number is, we'll, we'll let the folks at Augusta, USDA, the RNA, and the PGA of America decide that. Colby, this is, this is going to be a two-part question, so follow along with me here. We've brought up all kinds of divisive points in the game of golf with live and distance back. Well, I feel like the other big, big thing, and we talked about this off the air, but elaborate for our listeners, is the new PGA Tour schedule going forward having limited field and, and no cuts. I feel like even guys who are big PGA Tour guys are, are pinned against that. And then the second part of that question is, that's like one of the one of the three biggest things that's really disrupting golf. I mean, is it good for the game of golf to have so many people arguing about live distance diamondbacks and PJ Tour schedule? Is it really good to have so many things where people cannot agree on? Yeah, it's, it's weird because the tour was obviously going to have to make changes, and they did. Now, I didn't agree with the taking away from cuts. Even if you want to have limited fields, I think that you still need to have a cut. I think that uh, the punishment for showing up and shooting 80 Two, two times in a row on Thursday and Friday should not be 36 more holes of golf and a big fat check. I, I, I don't think that that's how it should work. Um, you know, Tiger talked today about how these conversations are still ongoing, and he said something about maybe the player-hosted tournament having cuts at some point with his tournament, Arnold's tournament, Jack's tournament, things of that nature, uh, having cuts moving forward. If you want to have 78 guys so that you can have, you know, jack up these purses and all that stuff, that's fine. Cut it to top 60. I don't even 
care if you're only cutting 18 guys. That's no good to 60 for the weekend. I, but you've got to have a cut because whenever you don't, in today's golf climate, you're opening yourself up to comparisons to live, number one. And number two, I just I think it's a part of golf. Um, may, maybe that's old-fashioned in me, but that is just ingrained in me. You, you play bad on Thursday and Friday, you don't get 36 more holes. You don't get a check. That That is part of golf. And to see that go away uh, is going to be unfortunate in the biggest events. Now, obviously, the tour is still going to have, what, 40 other events that have cut. But, yeah, I, I was I was disappointed in the no-cut stuff. The rest of the designated event system, I like where guys can play their way in. You know, you'll have two designated events, three weeks where guys can play in, two more designated events. That part of it I like. I think you've got to cut the guys who play bad on Thursday and Friday. The only guy here that's ever had to play and didn't get a check, that's easy for you guys to say that. <laughs> you ought to try it sometime. Try missing that cut by a shot, and you can't hardly got enough money in your pocket to pay your caddy. Hey, Woody, that's the best thing about golf. Play better, play better, my yeah, man. Yeah, that was it. That's what they always told me. Uh, I was going to say one thing on this live PGA Tour. If, if we had the ability to go back, who screwed up? Did Jay Monahan screw Ooh. up? I think he did. I think he did. I think they had a chance to make this where this isn't an issue anymore, guys. I really do. And I think Jay Monahan should be held liable for letting this get to where it did. I think he screwed up. That's just my personal opinion. Colby, you don't have to say a word because you work for the Golf Channel. But I think he stepped on himself, and I think he made a mess of it. And now we got a mess, whether we like it or not. But I think he messed up. I, I, I'll, tell, I'll just tell the company line for you and say his job was to protect the PGA Tour. The PGA Tour is healthy. That's that's my take. Well, that's what uh, you should say. <laughs> and, and I would say that, that Monahan couldn't agree on the money for the uh, fall series that happened in the first place. But anyways, Colby, we have to table that discussion for a later time. Colby, you got to promise us you'll come on and we'll, we'll have that debate at a certain time. But before we do that, we have to get your master's picks for this week. Please, three picks and a dark horse, Colby. All right, I gave some of this away earlier, but Scotty Scheffler is my one. I, I know that guys rarely repeat, but he is hitting every benchmark on the way in. I mean, most guys don't normally repeat. Most guys didn't just win a, a wake management, which was 800-plus strength of field, I think, and then the Players' Championship. Um, he's playing so well. If the weather gets nasty, it's not going to matter to him. He can chip. He can putt. He can do it all. I've got Scotty Scheffler one. I've got Rory McIlroy two. The reasons I mentioned earlier, I mentioned earlier, uh, I think he's playing great, but I think he'll he'll fall just a little bit short uh, once again at Augusta. Now, I'm not going to go Rom three. I, I think that there's a drop off after the big three, but I, I don't want to just go one, two, three in the world. I'm actually going to go down the board just a little bit to the tenth ranked player in the world. Uh, do you remember when Armageddon came through at TPC Sawgrass a couple of weeks ago, and Justin Thomas was like, "Hey, everybody, watch this." That was fun. That was fun watching JT. Uh, in those conditions, that nasty, nasty gale force wind, the cold. I, I think that JT, if it gets nasty this weekend, could play well. I hope he starts well on Thursday because I think that he could be in contention uh, to win another major championship and and get off the. Uh, he's been on the PGA Championship train. He's got two PGAs and nothing else. So he needs to get something else in his trophy case. Outside the top twenty-five in the world, and we're applying common sense here. I can't pick any of the obvious 
uh, the obvious live guys. We go Justin Rose at 36 in the world. He's won this year. He seems to have a new energy to his game. He plays well at Augusta National. In grass, pure big grass, far and away. Justin Rose's best surface. Uh, I picked him before at the Masters, and it has burned me. No, I did not have him the year. He went to a playoff with Sergio. I think I had him the following year, maybe the year after, whenever he missed the cut. That's the number one player in the world. But those will be my three. Scotty Scheffler, Rory McIlroy, Justin Thomas, and then my dark horse is the 36th ranked player in the world, Justin Rose. There is Colby Powell of the Golf Channel. Colby, thank you so much for taking the time to come on with us. Uh, last thing I got to say is just uh, tell your boy Brandon to lay off the weed a little bit, please, for me. Just just for me, Colby. <laughs> just a little bit. Hey, uh, <laughs> hey maybe, you can, maybe you get him to unblock me and Sam on Twitter. <laughs> hey, how, about, how about this? Y'all have actually had more interaction than than I have with Randall. I'm not blocked by Randall. I've never talked to Randall. I've never met Randall. Y'all are closer with him than I am. That doesn't shock me. <laughs> Colby, uh, <laughs> thank you again. T-Dub, you want to say your goodbyes to Colby? I mean, it's just great to have uh, Colby on the show. I mean, I wish we could have him on like we used to all the time. I remember, what was it, three years ago now when we started this, Colby? I mean, it just seems how much time has flown and where it's going to now. It's crazy, not just with us, but personally as well. But, uh, and, uh, but you've been doing so much other stuff as well. I mean, you, you just had your uh, daughter's first birthday, I believe, yesterday, right? And had their party this weekend. So you've been a pretty busy man. Uh, yeah, she turned one yesterday. I got her some golf clubs. She loves them. Uh, earlier today, she actually made contact with the ball. She immediately threw the club down and started clapping for herself. It was the greatest <laughs> thing I've ever seen in my life. It was, <laughs> yeah. it was, it was truly fantastic. Uh, guys, I, I can't be on anymore. It's, we're recording this on a Tuesday night, and I've got to get back to work. I've got more work to do before I get to bed. Uh, but I love you guys. I'm a regular listener. I can't catch every episode, uh, but I try to catch uh, at least one every other week or so and listen to all the great interviews. Y'all are doing a fantastic job. I love you guys. I appreciate y'all having me on. We love you See too, you, Colby. And that is Father Colby Powell of future ANWA champion, Layla Powell. I saw the video of her putting. She even pulled the flag stick on her little putt that she had there, Colby, at the video that you sent. I cannot wait uh, to watch Layla Powell dominating at the ANWA in the future. Colby, thank you so much again, and have a great evening, all right? Happy Masters, everybody. See y'all later. Big, big thank you again to Colby Powell for coming on the podcast here to help us preview Masters Week. And go check out thegolfchannel.com where Colby Powell is the editor of thegolfchannel.com. He's the man and definitely gives a different perspective for all you golf fans out there on the world of professional golf, which is crazy right now. Woody! We have a new sponsor, and it's Omni Construction. Can you please tell us about our friends at Omni Construction? Well, this is a good friend of mine, a gentleman by the name of Joe Surya, uh, is the owner and president of Omni Construction. It is a uh, construction company there located in South Oklahoma City. They do everything you can imagine as far as construction goes. Uh, I'm actually going to try to get Joe on in the next, Oh, a few days if I can. If not, maybe our next couple of podcasts to, to really go into depth of what all they are involved in. One thing I do know about Joe Turga, he loves golf. That's why he's a perfect new sponsor for our uh, podcast. He loves golf, and we're going to look forward to doing uh, many shows with uh, Omni Construction. 
There's no doubt about that. Omni Construction, the best construction company you can find in Oklahoma City. Okay, it's time to hit a break, but stay with us. If you're in any master's pool or making any master's bets, you need to listen to the next segment after the break where we break down literally every single player in the golf tournament coming up here on Oklahoma's Leader in Golf, the 73rd Hole podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. When something the size of a golf ball hits your roof, you need to call McRae Roofing. McRae Roofing is Oklahoma's designer roofing service specialist. For years, Jeff McRae and the experienced team at McRae Roofing and Exteriors have served fellow Oklahomans by helping them with their roofing needs. McRae Roofing uses only top quality materials and professional crews to make sure that each job is done right so it will give you the years of service, security, and protection you need from the unpredictable Oklahoma weather. McRae Roofing offers residential and commercial roofing, ventilation services, and custom copper designs. McRae Roofing is dedicated to exceeding the homeowner's expectations. It's not just a roof. It is your home's crowning glory. Call McRae Roofing today at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. Make sure to also visit their website at McRayRoofing.com. That's M-C-R-A-Y Roofing.com. Don't get caught with a leaking roof. Contact McRae Roofing for your free inspection today. We're back here on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Go to golfoklahoma.org and get all of your local golf news and read the story on the Oklahoma Sooners and Ben Lorenz both getting a victory in their last tournament in San Francisco. Big time stuff from them and always great stories from Kim McLeod and Chris Swafford doing a great job at Golf Oklahoma up in Tulsa. It is time to preview the Masters, guys. And I don't necessarily know where to start. I kind of want to break this down into tiers. And obviously, to me, on the top tier of the Masters, tier one, I would put Scotty Scheffler, Rory McIlroy, and John Rahm. And to me, guys, I like Rory McIlroy out of those three guys. And the reason being is because I feel like it would be absolutely historic for Scotty Scheffler to win back-to-back green jackets. I have no analytics to back this up because he is the best ball striker in the world right now. I think that obviously the golf course sets up perfect for him. I just think in my head it would be crazy for me to pick Scotty Scheffler um, out of these three guys considering he won here last year. And then we we talked a lot about John Rahm, T-Dub, and the issues he's had not only with the driver, but he's had some issues with the putter, whether it be at the match play last week. It just hasn't all clicked in about three weeks, T-Dub, and obviously withdrew at the players due to illness. And so to me, I'm just going based off recent form here with these three guys, and I loved what I saw from Rory McIlroy in Austin. I loved the fact that he was killing the driver, the shorter shaft that he put into play at the match play, was absolutely striping the driver, got an unlucky break against Cam Young. Otherwise, he would have been advancing through to the finals in that match play. And then he was making clutch putts at the right times, 
Didn't make the one last clutch putt on the playoff hole against Cam Young, but that doesn't bother me. I look for Rory McIlroy to have a really solid week this week out of the Tier 1 guys. Well, what's funny is that we keep talking about the big three, right, with Rory Rom Scheffler, and you look at it analytically, and it's pretty much a big two. I mean, Scotty Scheffler has a 13.1% chance. Rory has a 12.4. And then you go down to Rom at a 7.1. Just to put that in perspective, Patrick Cantlay is number four at 5.8. So, according to that, Rom is a lot closer to Cantlay than he is even Rory in chances. But I, I like Rom a little bit more than some other people will this week, mainly just from, course his, from his course history here. And we talked about that a lot before the break about how with the weather I think that's going to play a big part. He's played the tournament six times. His worst finish is a 27th in there. And one thing that's find interesting here is that playing the tournament six times, in his last five times he's played the tournament, he shot under par in the final round. And four of those times has been in the 60s. So he's been able to close very, very well at this course. Maybe he can just get off to a little bit better start. Four of his six rounds, uh, at the, uh, four of his six opening rounds are 72 or higher. So he does need to get off to a little bit better start. But uh, I don't know, Hump, man. Maybe I'm just Maybe I'm not getting a little bit too much caught up in what I've seen recently because also, too, that round when he withdrew from the players, he putted absolutely horribly. I think he shot one or two under. But he hit the ball really well. He gained 2.2 shots approach and actually gained some shots around the green. So, and then he played really good the first round of the Arnold Palmer, but then played really bad uh, the final three rounds. He didn't look very good in the match play. So, I, I don't know, Hunt, man. Maybe I'm just looking a little bit too much on – on how he's played this course, but uh, I think Rom's going to show up to this course, uh, to the tournament race. And, and as far as Rory goes, uh, T-Dub, I, I think that um, he's proven to me he's going to be top 10. Now, has he proven that he's going to win the Masters? I don't know. Uh, not yet, uh, because he never has won one, but uh, but he's top 10 seven out of the last nine years. Uh, as far as his current form, he's had three really good weeks with the win in the CJ Cup. Uh, tie for second at Bay Hill, third in the match play. Uh, but he's had three so-so weeks with a tie for 32 in Phoenix, a tie for 29 in L.A., and and miscut at the players. Uh, so, hey, listen, Rory, obviously, I mean, it's hard to win in golf. We all know that. Um, he's a great player. I think it'd be a great story if he won. But I just don't know that he has to win this week. And, and, and Scheffler, it's just so hard to repeat as great as he's playing. You know, it's only been done, what, three times with, with Jack and, and Faldo and Tiger. Uh, and then Rom, you guys have talked about, and Rom, I, yeah, he did get off to the tremendous start this year. But his current form really since, I mean, he won in Maui, won in La Quinta, won in L.A., San Diego and Phoenix weren't bad either, a, a seventh and a third. But I don't know, since he fired that great first round at Bay Hill, then he has cooled considerably. So I don't know that any of the three have to win it. That's pretty good there, guys. Uh, you know, what did I say two months ago? I told you guys I thought Rory McIlroy was going to win this because his relationship with Tiger has grown so closer and closer, and I think those two talk a lot. So I'm still going with uh, I, I know there's a lot of pressure on him. I know he's not necessarily the guy that everybody's picking. I do agree with you guys that Scheffler's on a roll. It's hard to go against him. Um, you know, Rom, on any given day, it could come back. So I guess what 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 we look at, when especially uh, you don't get the fun I do every time we do one of these podcasts, these two analytical uh, <laughs> I deal with every time. 
we can have all the analytical data in the world, gentlemen. It's golf. And on any given day, the golf gods will either give or take it away. And they do it at will. So that's why gambling on golf is one of the stupidest things you could ever do. That's all I've got to say about that. <laughs> and let me say this on, on, on Rory, Sam. And I, hey, listen, I've gone back and forth this week so many times. I, I, about 15 times this week, I was ready to pick Rory. But what scares me away is his first round, the last four Masters in the first round. I know one of them was in the fall, but here's what he's gone in the first round in the last four. Last year, he had a 73 in the first round. 21, he had a 76 in the first round. In the fall Masters in 20, he had the 75 in the first round. And in 19, the year Tiger won, he had a 73 in the first round. He's got to get out of the shoot tomorrow. I mean, he, he can't. if he fires one of those numbers in the first round, I don't think he's going to win. It's amazing. He has come back, and in those four tournaments, you know, he's he's had a tie for a fifth and a second last year, you know. I missed the cut, and one of them tied for 21st, and one of them. Uh, he's had a hard time getting out of the gates. He's had a lot of backdoor, really good Sundays here in Augusta, but he's got to find a way to put a good number up on Thursday. No, there's no doubt about it. And last year, there was some weather at times. Uh, he did finish solo second last year. And then in 2017, in the first round, there was some weather, some high winds, and he finished tied for seventh in 2017. The things that I like, uh, T-Dub, from Rory, it doesn't seem like in the past month or so that he's been as much of an activist and worrying about all the stuff off the course, whether it be with Liv and the PGA Tour or all that stuff. And it seems like he's focusing on himself and his golf game. And I feel like that that's going to translate over. That's why I liked him out of those three guys. Non-analytically, do you agree with me that he doesn't seem as outspoken over the past month or so? It seems like he's been trying to keep that stuff to a minimum and focusing on what can I do to finally complete this Grand Slam? I 100% agree with what you're saying. And a few of our shows ago, I had the theory that I don't think Roy fully believes a lot of the stuff that he's been, been saying out publicly. So I think that that is eating at his conscience, at least what I think. So I think him not only just not being an activist is helping him in that aspect as well. So yeah, I completely agree with it. And you, you, a lot of people will obviously look at the activist thing as well, but I think just him maybe getting this driver situation figured out as well. It seems like from what we saw three weeks ago that he really wanted to switch drivers. He wanted to go back to his old one and He's kind of found some sort of compromise going with a shorter shaft. And then we got the Scotty Cameron putter as well. Had some shining moments at, at the match play. Had some moments where he missed some putts. Missed like a 15-inch putt or something like that. So there's a little bit hit or miss there. But was able to finish third in that tournament. Really should have beat Cam Young. He was two up with three holes to play. and Should have been able to make it on to the finals. And we might be looking at Rory entirely differently had he gone on to win that tournament. So I, I agree with Hunt, man. I, I think he's going to be a top 10, probably a surefire thing. I would be absolutely shocked if he doesn't finish top 10, top 12, really probably at worst. But when you add up all the pressure of winning the Grand Slam and just every single thing that's been going on, it, it's hard for me to look at Rory and say, he's the clear-cut guy that I think would, that would win this. And that's why you look at those big three with Rory, Scheffler, Rom, Scheffler's going for back-to-back, Rory's going for the career Grand Slam. And Rom slumped off a little bit. So, I mean, if I look at those three, who's most likely to come out, I, I would I'd probably kind of say Rom, but Jeffers playing so good. And, and then, but it wouldn't shock me at all for he did, did it all. So, I mean, it's, 
it's pretty crazy when you look at all these. But I, I, I think the biggest thing, Sam, is the pressure of the career grand slam. And I think that's what's going to hold him back this week. I just hope it doesn't hold him back for his entire career. Hey, and I think that, speaking of Scheffler, I think that he's going to have a good week this week. I just don't think he's going to be wearing the green jacket come Sunday evening. Uh, do you have and anything Sam, more? out of those three. Go ahead. Sam, out of those three, I, I go Rory one, Scheffler two, Rom three. Is how I rank those three. What do you, how would but you rank them? I don't think them? any of them have to win. Well, I've got Rory one for sure because I'm, I'm going to stay with him winning the golf tournament. I got to agree with your dad. I, I, I think Rom might shock us this week guys I, I think we kind of written him off because he's not been striking it as good but I think he can find it just as fast as he can lose it so but I would still put it in the same order as your dad Rory Scotty uh, Rob. guys I'm going Rory Scheffler and then Rom the driver with Rom just worries me and Scotty Scheffler's putting recently has been better than it had been, you know, where he went through the tough stretch from the Byron Nelson all the way to the Cadence Bank Championship, where he only gained strokes on the greens two times in two different tournaments between that full stretch. And that was what, 15 tournaments right there? And in his last seven tournaments, he's gained shots on the greens five times guys I think that he's going to have a good week I just don't think that he's going to actually win the golf tournament T-Dub do you see anything other than that with Scotty Scheffler I know we're kind of glossing over Scotty Scheffler but I think it's just because he won last year I think it would be a a tall ask well one thing too about Scheffler is that we're just looking back on on his win last year but the two years before that he finished 18th and 19th so in his three appearances the worst finish is 19th and then going back on his finishes, going back to the CJ Cup, he hasn't finished worse than 12th place going back to this. So he's just been so steadily strong. And you brought it up, Sam. I mean, when you include driving and iron play, he's the best ball striker in the world by multiple attempts uh, of shots when it comes to strokes game, which is just absolutely nomical. And then when you look at everyone who's in this field currently, uh, who's played this course more, more than one round or more than one time, Scotty Shepard, second all-time in, in, in true search game. The only person ahead of him is Will Zalatoris, who finished second and sixth here the two times he's played. So not only that win that he has, but he's played good here the other times. And the history, and I think that Scheffler could be that type of player to get in the group. I mean, it's hard to throw him in with Tiger and Jack. And, but Nick Faldo is an absolute legend. Who's the other guy who's won back-to-back. I think Scheffler could, could be up there analytically. He's up there with how good as Nick Faldo was. So it, it wouldn't stop me one bit if he won. And you look at these three guys, right, and – any of them can go out and play good at any period of time. And so it, it, that's what makes it so so great having this big three the way it is. But when it comes to Scheffler, I, I think the putting is going to be really the thing that, that's going to be the difference maker. And if he wins or not, everyone remembers the, the chip in he had on three last year. But he also had some really good up and downs in the first, second, and fourth hole when he was able to get out of position. And I think this year he's going to be able – I know the weather will be in play. But I think he's going to be able to hit hit the ball a little bit better than he even did last year, which, which will potentially be hard to do. He gained 1.68 shots to approach the green last year at this tournament. But I think he'll be somewhere around there. He gained .81 on the green last year whenever he was able to win. So, Sam, I think if he's able to putt like that, I think he's going to be up there and be top five chance. But if he stays just around neutral in the putting, which I, which would not shot me one bit if he did, I think he'll finish somewhere around the 12 to 15 one. I agree with you. I think his ball striking will carry him into Sunday with a chance to win. And then, really, I think that on Sunday with the wind up, I know he's from Dallas, but he does have a high ball flight. I do think that he will be maybe five or six shots back, headed into Sunday, backdoor a top five, but not be 
wearing a green jacket, guys. Okay, let's get to some other guys here. Patrick Cantlay, T-Dub mentioned, has a 5.8% chance to win. He is the fourth favorite analytically on data golf. T-Dub, I don't trust Patrick Cantlay in major championships and he's just got to prove it to me before I would bet any money on him or put him in my top three picks. And his last two years at Augusta National, he's lost over a shot and a half per round on the greens, and that's uncharacteristic of him. Is it time to say that he just doesn't necessarily play his best golf at Augusta National? He's one of those guys, kind of like Max Homa, I would say, save for L.A. Country Club later in the season. I would 100% agree that this is probably not the time to run out Patrick Cantlay. I will say he is on some really exceptional form. And honestly, he made the, the group play or made it out of the group play at, at the match play. This 19th of the players have finished fourth and third. The two turns before that, the two elevated events in Genesis and Oral Palmer. So the forms there, his off the tee game is exceptionally strong. He hasn't lost stroke games off the tee going all the way back to the FedEx St. Jude Championship last year. So he's got his, his driver game worked out. His iron play over the last four weeks, he's been really good, gaining almost a full shot shot there, which is something that at the Phoenix Open, where he missed his last cut, he did not do very well there at all. His chipping has been a little bit up or down, and his putting has been up and down as well, which is something that you usually do not expect Patrick Cantlay to have a problem with. But, but Sam, I think this is the biggest point. You brought it up right there. His record at Augusta, everyone remembers him having the, the solo lead on the back nine at one point when Tiger won in 2019. But besides that, look at his record. Last year, he finished 39th, missed the cut in 2021. Did finish 17th in the COVID year, but that was the fall master, so a little bit of fluky stuff there. And other than that, he has a missed cut in the 47th. So, I don't know, Hunt, man. I, I get that the recent forms there with Patrick Cantlay, and he did have really the one good finish uh, in 2019. He should have finished a little bit higher. He bogeyed 16 and 17 coming in, but uh, I don't know. To be the fourth favorite this week analytically, I, I, I would probably put Cantlay more down in the 8th, ninth in range closer than I would number four. Yeah, early in the week, I wanted to pick him based on that current form because, like you said, it's great. I mean, third in L.A., tie for fourth at Bay Hill, you know, ninth in the match play, tie for ninth. Even the players was a top-20 finish. So current form is great. I just don't trust his master's form on this golf course. So uh, I'm going to leave him out of my top three. I wouldn't put him in my top three on a bet. No way would I do it. Uh, he has never shown me anything in Augusta except that one year and even then he didn't finish well so yeah he'd have to sh- he'd have to come really with something this week to really get me back where I'm a Cantley believer I'm I'm like you Sam I like him out at the LA uh, at the open at the LA Country Club so Patrick Cantley is your fourth favorite this week and then you have Tony Finau Jordan Speed, Jason Day and Xander Shoffley, and really add Justin Thomas to that list. Of those five guys, does one name stick out to you guys? I'll go ahead and tell you this. I think that Jason Day sticks out of those five guys on that list because of his recent form. If you look at how Jason Day has been playing recently, he hasn't lost shots on the greens putting in any particular round since the RSM, that's literally every single tournament in 2023, guys. Jason Day has revamped his whole career and revolutionized the way he's playing golf, and I think that he's finally in a good mental space 
where he can have some success, and he's had, guys, success on this golf course before. He had a tied for fifth in 2019. He had a tied for 10th in 2016. He had a solo third in 2013 and a tied for second in 2011. Now, I know that's a long time ago, but if you look at his analytics, guys, T-Dub, This is the best golf Jason Day has played since he was number one in the world in 2015 and 2016. I know that those are big names that I mentioned along with Jason Day, but I feel like his play so far this year has warranted me to put his name in that list with Finau, Spieth, Xander Shoffley, and Justin Thomas. I feel like I trust Jason Day more this week than any of those guys. Do you agree or disagree with me? I thought one thing that was very fascinating listening to Jason Day's press conference yesterday was he talked about all the different swing spots that he had going on in the set. And, I mean, he got very technical. We're talking about where his right arm is and how he, he can drop down and come deep into it. And, and the thing that blew me away is that how the hell can you be thinking about all this stuff and still be finishing <laughs> top 10 on the PGA Tour like you are? It blew me away. So what that makes me think is that Jason Day it has great golf still ahead of him. I think he could get back. Maybe not as dominant as he was because he's not going to be able to hit the ball as far as he used to, but he's going to get back to a top five player at some point. He almost already is. Was he the seventh or eighth player ranked analytically? But but I do agree a lot with, with what Colby was saying before the break about how I think the cold weather is going to really affect Day. And I think his time is coming. I do think that if he could stay healthy, he probably will win uh, another major, at least another PJ Tour event. I do not think it, it's this week. But out of those guys that you really that you mentioned earlier, Sam, and I hate to say this just because I root against him all the time. But I'm really heavy on Jordan Spieth this week. I think he is going to play really, really well. I think he's been really gearing up for this tournament. Finished third at the Valspar Championship. Almost caught our boy Taylor Moore at that tournament. Finished fourth at the Arnold Palmer. Missed about six five-footers coming down the stretch. Or he would have won that tournament. Essentially going away, finished 19th of the players, which is a course that he traditionally had not played very well in the past. So that's a little bit of good signs. And then we don't even have to talk about his record at this course, guys. Win back in 2015. Second in 2014 to Bubba, and then 2016 to Danny Willett, which he should have won if he could have uh, not hit in the pond twice on 16. Finished third back to Patrick Green in 2018, and then finished third in 2021 as well, which is something that, that it, it, you kind of forget about as well. So, Huffman, Spieth's record here is absolutely exceptional. And while I don't think he's my favorite to put on the green jacket, I think he has to be in a lot of people's draft teams minus than a guy that's going to finish top five, top ten. I saw where uh, Golf Digest uh, picked him as their winner this week, right? Uh, talking about Jordan Spieth. So, no, it, because the track record on this course is just, you know, ex- exceptional. I mean, this is his 10th Masters. That's hard to believe. And he's been in the top three and five out of the last nine. Uh, and the guy is just, I mean, he brings his game to the top in majors. Um, what, 11 top fives now? And he's got 13 top tens already in majors. So, no, but but this group, the group that Sam just just mentioned there with, with Jason Day. Now, Day scares me. That press conference scared me to death, T-Dub, with all his swing thoughts, Woody. I mean, I don't know how you can have, you know, <laughs> nine different swing thoughts, you know, but he said he wanted to get that down to one or two. But the guy scares me to death. And, and listen, I'm about to put him in my top three, and the guy has missed the cut <laughs> twice in the last three Masters and didn't qualify for the other one. But, but. This guy, the current form, I'm a current form guy, and you guys have said it. He's been in the top ten and five out of his last six tournaments, playing the best golf that he's played in years. 
He's had a few good finishes here at Augusta National, not in the last three years, but he tied for fifth, you know, in 2019 Tigers year. He is he is on his game. He does scare me to death. I think I picked him to win. I, I think maybe the, the last time he was here and he goes out and shoots 77-76, you know. <laughs> so this guy is a hypochondriac. I, I'm, I'm talking to, to uh, Graham, my buddy from Australia, and, and I mean <laughs> – you know, he just is hypochondriac. I mean, these, these guys don't trust him any further than they can throw him. But I do think his game is coming back, and I go so much on current form, I'm probably going to put him in my top three. But, you know, the other guy out of that group, Sam, that I might just pick to win the thing is Xander Shoffley. And, and Xander Shoffley, I know that he hit that wall of win with that shot at 16, and y'all gave Dottie Pepper a hard time about that and all this. But he does have a pretty darn good track record here at Augusta National with a tie for uh, second, a tie for third. All right. He did miss the cut last year. I understand that. It's only the but, last cut that he missed, though. He's made every single cut for an entire year if you don't count his withdrawal. Yeah. So, listen, his current form is not exactly, you know, the best among these guys. But you look at the match play, and, and it's no embarrassment to lose one up to Rory McIlroy in the match play. But I'm just looking at, when I look at Shopley, I'm looking not just what he's done here, but what he's done in majors. He's already got six top fives and nine top tens in majors. This guy is too good a player not to win a major. So it has to happen sometime, and his track record is not terrible here. So could happen here. See, what's fun is after I get to listen to all three of you guys figure this all out, you get me so mixed up. I don't even know what to say. <laughs> I, I, I become at a loss for words, and that's really hard for Woody. I, I will I will say that there's a reason all these guys have a name on their back. There's a reason why all these guys are what we call the best in the world. On any given week, guys, current form might be bad, and then all of a sudden they win. How many times do we watch a golf tournament? And I'm, granted, it's not the Masters, but – this guy's missed six cuts out of the last seven terms, and he wins the doggone golf tournament. How do you do that is what I want to know. How can you be that bad and then that good? Well, because that's who they are. Of all the guys in that little group, give me Jordan Spieth. It's either going to be a train wreck or he'll be right there. <laughs> you look like either an idiot or you look like a genius, but I'm going with Jordan Spieth of those guys. Hey, guys, it's really interesting. That group is super interesting because we didn't even mention guys like a Tony Finau or a Justin Thomas, who we saw win no, we at Southern Hills. And, and Justin Thomas, guys, I feel like is going a little bit under the radar, but deservedly so because his putter is under the radar, guys. He has lost strokes on the greens eight times since the U.S. Open last year. He completely lost his putter after winning at Southern Hills. That's why I do not like him this week, especially if the wind gets up, T-Dub. It's pretty simple. The way I've seen his putter the last two months, Sam, it's just been horrible, especially on the short putts. The putts inside four to five feet. I mean, I have – and this is – granted, too, this is TV coverage that I'm seeing. I'm not sitting there following every single shot Justin Thomas did. I'm just going off the shots I've seen. He, some four-footers – He's not even hitting the hole. And then a lot of times I've seen it, too, where he'll have, a, a let's say, a 15, 20-footer for birdie. He'll run it three feet by, then he'll miss the next putt. And it's like you're giving away essentially a shot and a half at that point whenever you do that. So, yeah, I think JT, I do think he's going to – he'll finish probably top 10, top 15 just because of his track record here. He's done 8, 21st, 4th, 12th, 17th, 22nd, 39th in his first appearance. So 
very, very steady there, just right around those same marks. Last year, he actually played really, really well after the first round. Shot, what, he shoot four over in the first round, then played some of the best golf of, of the tournament since after that in 2022. So I, I think that he'll, he will play pretty good here, but I don't, I don't think that he's going to win because of that putter. But, but one pick you mentioned, Sam, is a Tony Finau. And he's played this course really well, good as well. He's played here five times, high for five on cuts. May does have the fifth back when he played in the final group with Tiger in 2019, finished 10th here in 2021 as well, along with 2018. So some good course history. And then also has a pretty good record going, or, or current record going right now, huh, man. He didn't make it through the group play at match play, but out of the 64 players in the field, I think he was eighth or ninth in strokes game. Just, uh, I can't remember who made it out of his group, but whoever it was just was like second or third. So he just got a little bit screwed in his pairing. And then he finished 19th, 24th, 20th, 14th, 9th, 16th, and 7th every other term this year. So, oh man, Tony Pino has been very consistent. And what's crazy is that he's actually, the last couple weeks, has been putting really, really well, gaining 0.72 and 2.28 strokes on the greens. Always a really good ball striker, especially with his iron. So I think Pino may be someone that um, people aren't looking out to win, but I think someone that you have to throw in your draft team for sure. Well, you're right, and good track record here. I mean, three top tens, no missed cuts uh, here at Augusta National, and really the same for Justin Thomas. I mean, his eighth Masters now, and he's been in top 25 in his last six Masters, uh, Justin Thomas has, and so he doesn't have, and he's been in the top eight in, in two out of the last three. So a lot of those guys in this group have very good records here at Augusta National. It's, it's tough to leave them out. How about the top 50 guys in this field have pretty good records? <laughs> so uh, when we're we're going down these lists and we're talking about these players, gentlemen, I, I mean, any one of those guys could win this golf tournament. They really could. I'm not kidding you. I don't know how we even come close to not including them, but you only get to pick so many. Those are all really good players. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And T-Dub brings up a great point in Tony Finau, how he's been putting recently because he had finished tied for 10th and lost strokes on the greens putting at Augusta National before. And this year, in 2023, he's gaining .76 on the year on the greens, which is by far and away his best putting year of his career. His second best was in 2018 where he's gaining only 0.22 shots on the greens per round. So, guys, he has figured something out with the putter. I wouldn't hate a Tony Finau pick this week. I just like Jason Day and the way he's been putting and and everything that he's been doing just a little bit better than Finau. But of the list of Finau, Speed, Jason Day, Xander Shoffley, uh, and Justin Thomas, I would put Finau second. And the reason why I don't like Shoffley and yes, he's made every single cut since Augusta National last year. But the reason why I don't like him is because if you look at his recent form, yeah, tied for fifth, the tied for 19th, the tied for 39th, the tied for 33rd, you know, a tied for 10th, the tied for 13th. I'm I'm trying to pick the top three of this golf tournament. Yes, maybe a Xander Shoffley top 20 or top 10 bet would be good to me, but not necessarily uh, for him to compete and, and really contend to win the golf tournament on Sunday evening, guys. The next group is really interesting as well. I want to get to these guys. Cam Young, 
Dustin Johnson, Colin Morikawa, and Matthew Fitzpatrick. Now, Cam Young obviously had his great run, made it to the finals of the match play in Austin. Last time we saw him tee it up, and then obviously Dustin Johnson shot five under in the last round of Live Golf Orlando. And then you have Colin Morikawa and Matthew Fitzpatrick. I'll just say this. I don't like Matthew Fitzpatrick for obvious reasons. I don't think he hits it far enough at Augusta National, and his current form isn't necessarily there. And then with Colin Morikawa, yes, he is one of the top ball strikers in the world, but he ranks 161st in putting on data golf in the world. 161st. I'm not going to pick that guy to win at Augusta National. So that leaves me with Cam Young and Dustin Johnson. If I look at Cam Young's putting stats before the match play, he lost strokes at the Arnold Palmer, the Genesis, the Phoenix Open, the American Express, the CJ Cup. That's all leading up to Augusta National. I don't trust his putter either. But the guy that has been consistent over the past year is, yes, the live golfer, Dustin Johnson, and I think that he's going to have a great week this week, and I'll get more to that later, but he has only lost strokes to the field on Live Golf one time, and that was in Mayakoba, a course that didn't suit his game very well and coming off a long layoff the first real offseason these Live guys have had. I think that Dustin Johnson is going to have a great week this week, and he has proven that he can play great golf when it's windy and terrible conditions, which I think we might get later on in the week. Dustin Johnson is going to make a statement out of this group between Cam Young, Colin Morikawa, and uh, Matthew Fitzpatrick, T-Dub. I just think Dustin Johnson is the obvious pick out of these four guys. Yeah, I think this group is, is definitely not as strong as the one we were talking about before. And, and one note I had about Shopley here that I, I forgot to read off is that in his last three tournaments, he's lost a decent amount of strokes gained off the tee. So I think that'll be something that may hold Shopley back this week. But going back to the four names that you mentioned there, I think Cam Young is the name you got to watch out for. He played so well at the match play. And then he also has called the story on the back now as well. I think that's going to pay extreme dividends, maybe not necessarily immediately. I think I think it could happen immediately. But definitely over the course of, of three to five years, I think Cam Young will be a, a, a definite top five player in the world with just how good being hit it off the tee box. But has only played the Masters one time, missed the cut last year, and putted absolutely horrible on these greens. So that may be something to watch out for. And and I'm not necessarily sure if, if Cam Young if Cam Young off the tee is going to be able to absolutely pulverize his golf course. And he can hit it high. So I think that is going to be a, a really big dividend. But there's, there's some holes where I'm not sure if his shot shape particularly favors it, but maybe having the caddy, new caddy on the bag, I think will help him out as well. Uh, Colin Morikawa, you brought it up, Sam. I mean, his putting has just been so streaky that it's actually kind of a joke. Uh, the, the last time, the, 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 the three times this year he's gained strokes teams on the green, he's finished second, third, and sixth. And the times where he hasn't gained strokes on the green, he finished 28, 13th, and two missed cuts. So, I mean, it, it is a hundred, we talk about Justin Thomas being dependent on the putter. I mean, uh, Colin Morikawa, is even more so, but I will say this: finished 44th here in the COVID year, but finished 18th and 5th his last two years. Um, so it does have a little bit of history, good history on this course. So maybe his good iron play will be able to keep him going on. But uh, but Huntman, definitely one thing that I, I'm going to agree with Sam on for sure entirely is Matthew Fitzpatrick. I'm fading him extremely this week. People may say maybe the colder weather will open it up for him. I don't think that will be the case. He's missed the cut two out of his last uh, three tournaments and. 
at the uh, WGC match play. He didn't make it through the group stage. So, in theory, he actually has missed his last three cuts. Uh, four out of his last five, you go back to the Genesis, did finish 14th at the Arnold Palmer. But, uh, like I said, some people may be thinking the shorter hitter will bring Matthew Fitzpatrick Patrick into this. But going off of the recent form, I will not be throwing him out in any month. You know who taught me how to pick in uh, Matthew Fitzpatrick? It was Matthew Fitzpatrick in his press conference the other day. I mean, he said he's playing like crap. And so there's no way I'm going to pick him. Uh, not, how, how can you not pick DJ out of this group? Guys, he has finished in the top 12. If I'm looking at this correctly, six out of his last seven Masters, if you throw out the WB in 17, was that the year that he fell down the stairs? I don't know. Yes, it anyway, was. He, and he, he was the heavy favorite going into that tournament as well. Big favorite. Okay. Okay, so so TW, he finished, you know, tie for six, tie for fourth before that. Since then, tie for 10, tie for two, win. Did miss the cut in 21 and tie for 12 last year. Give me the guy that's been in the top 12 six out of seven times. This guy's the number 69 player in the world. Are you kidding me? He's the best number 69 player I've ever seen. <laughs> I couldn't have said it better myself. There's no doubt. The guy of that group, Dustin Johnson, and then there's always a question, did he fall down the stairs or was he thrown down the stairs? That we'll never know. <laughs> oh, that's always good stuff there, Woody. I'll get more to Dustin Johnson later on in the show, but I do want to go to the next group of guys here. We have Will Zalatoris, Victor Hovland, Hideki Matsuyama, former Masters champion, Sung J.M., and Max Homa, guys. I am completely fading Will Zalatoris after what I saw at not only the match play, um, but it it was just terrible at the players, too, and the Arnold Palmer on the greens. Yes, Will Zalatoris is a great ball striker, but coming off the back injury in 2023, he's only gaining 0.36 shots approach per round, and so he's clearly not hitting the ball as well as he was last year where he was gaining over a full shot with the irons. I'm completely fading Will Zalatoris this week. I think he's fool's gold. Now, let me get to Victor Hovland. Victor Hovland, I think, could actually have a solid week, finish in the top 15 to 20 range, but I don't think he's going to win the golf tournament, and that's because of what we always talk about around the greens he has struggled again we thought he figured out some stuff around the zozo championship and then uh you know he he gained shots around the greens at the cj cup and at the dp world tour championship but then he's lost shots around the greens at the phoenix open the genesis the arnold palmer the players and then with zeros at the wgc dell technologies match play so If I look back to his prior course history at Augusta National, he's finished 27th, 21st, 32nd, and that's because he hasn't had the short game figured out, and and I'm not going to trust him to finish in the top five of the golf tournament until he does. So that leaves me, guys, with uh, Hideki Matsuyama, Sungjae Im, and Max Homa. I like Sungjae M out of those three guys because in the last three weeks, he has been putting great, gaining over half a shot on the field on the greens. In the last three times, he's teed it up at the match play, the players, and the Arnold Palmer. And he's played here three times. He Yes, he did have one missed cut, but he did have a tied for eighth and a tied for second in there for his three times at Augusta National. 
I picked Sung J M to be more consistent at Augusta National than I do Hideki Matsuyama or Max Homa. T Dub, I'm going Sung J M out of that that group right there. Yeah, this is a very interesting group of players here because I do like Sung J for the reasons you mentioned with the course history. Second and eighth year does have the missed cut, but also playing pretty well as well. Didn't make it out of his group play as a match played, but but still had pretty good strokes game numbers there. Finished sixth at the Players' Championship and hasn't missed a cut going all the way back to the Stony Open. And if you go back even further than that, didn't miss a cut before that, going all the way back to the Genesis Scottish Open. So very, very consistent Sungjae. If I had to pick one guy out of those, I would probably go with Hideki. I really like what I've seen from Hideki's game, really going all the way back to the Players' Championship. And he missed two cuts going into that tournament and, and kind of had a backdoor top five finish there. But yet still played really good, had a pretty lousy double there, but gained over half a shot in every single stroke game category. And, and then I had a 15 finish last week at Valero. And then his, his course history here is almost second to none. In all honesty, he finished 14th in 2022, one. 2021, as we all remember, 13th, 19th, 11th, 7th, 5th are, are some of his other finishes in there. So out of that group, I'd probably go with, with Hideki. Zalatoris, I mean, you're, you're 100% right on him, Sam. And, and I'm going to sound like a little bit of an hypocrite because I'm talking about how much impact course history has. And he finished second, second and sixth here in his two times he's played. But, Sam, his putter has been so atrociously bad in the last three events. It, it, it literally is a joke how bad it's been. Lost 2.4 shots on the green. In the match play, I mean, there was a viral video going around on Twitter uh, of him essentially pausing his stroke on the backstroke, doing the figure eight, and then not even hitting the hole from 18 inches. I mean, it was just one of the worst putting strokes I've ever seen. So, yeah, I'm fading Zalatoris. And then Huntman, a guy who a lot of people were probably going to pick this week that I'm going to go ahead and fade, is Max Holman. It's mainly because of the course history. Only made one cut here in three appearances, and it was a 48. Last year has never gained shots on the green uh, on this course. So, I get the course, the recent form is there with an, he made it through the group stage at the match play. It's been a 6th, 14th, and 2nd his last three starts and then had his win back at the Farmers. But, but Hunt, man, there's just something about this course, at least the first few years, hasn't suited Max Oma's eye. Until I see some evidence that it does, I will not pick him at this tournament. Normally, I am with you, P-Dub, but this current form is just too good to pass up. What it, I mean, is it? You know, top 10 and, and five out of his last seven, and he goes tie for third win. Now, he did have the 39th in Phoenix where he lives in Scottsdale, but then a second in L.A. 14th at Bay Hill is not terrible. Then a tie for sixth in the players, tie for ninth in the match play. I I don't know, man. That current form is great. You're right, T-Dub. He, he missed the cut in his first two Masters, and he tied for 48th last year, the only time he's ever made a cut here. But this, you know, four top sixes and, and 23 with the win in San Diego and the second in L.A. And if this does turn into a wedge contest on the par fives, I like him there, too. So I don't know, man. It's, it's hard for me to throw him out. I am such a current form guy that I just think that Max Home is going to have his first really good Masters this week. That's a bold deck because the man's never shot in the 60s. His lowest round round at the Masters is the 70, and that was in 2020 when it was COVID year in the fall, which DJ set the course record at that time or the tournament record. So um, I'm with you. His current form, I'm a big Max Homa fan. I think he's a really good player. But (laughs) when your lowest round is 70 and you, you, you don't have anything in the 60s, I can't go there. 
But I, I, what's crazy is when you guys list these names, I don't have these stats in front of me. I try my best to get on my iPad to find something. You guys too quick. I thought Sung J.M. when you mentioned those guys. I thought that was the pick that Sam went with, and that's who I thought would be the out of that group. You know, again, this is – I need my dartboard. Uh, that's how I pick my best. <laughs> so, uh, uh, But I like Sung J.M. out of that group. There you go. And one more thing about recent form with Max Homa. Yes, he made it through his group in match play, but he also lost over a shot on the field strokes gain total uh, for the week at the WGC Dell Technologies match play. So not necessarily the best form that Max Homa has shown uh, so far this year, obviously winning at the Farmers and the Fortinet earlier on in the season. Guys, let's get to the next group, and that is very, very interesting. You have Cam Smith, obviously, of Live Golf, Sam Burns, who won uh, the Dell Technologies match play and finished tied for sixth at the at the Valspar the week before that, playing great golf. Justin Rose, who Colby said that he liked as his dark horse, and then Corey Connors, who has a great history at Augusta National. Guys, I don't know who to choose out of this group, especially uh, depending on the weather. I think that you know, a winner could come out of this group. I'm not picking it, but I'm saying that of these guys, three of them are three of the best putters on the PGA Tour, and the other guy is one of the better ball strikers on the PGA Tour. Corey Connors, guys, is an interesting name, and I think that a lot of people's dark horse pick got screwed up last week because his odds got messed up because he won the Valero Texas Open last week, but Corey Connors' odds would have been astronomical considering the fact that he finished tied for 6th, tied for 8th, and tied for 10th in his last three starts at Augusta National. I think he'll have a solid week this week, but I am going with Sam Burns out of this group because I think the weather might get a little bit dicey, and I know that Sam Burns missed the cut in his only appearance at Augusta National. But Sam Burns is the best putter, in my opinion, on the PGA Tour. He hasn't lost strokes on the greens since the Cadence Bank Championship. That means that in 10 tournaments, he's gained over half a shot or more on the field, on the greens. I think that putting could be more important this week when the wind gets up than in other weeks. And then obviously, T-Dub... I'm leaving out some great names like Cam Smith. He just hasn't shown it to me in the first couple of live events. It makes me a little bit nervous to pick him. Uh, And then Justin Rose, I don't know. Maybe I just don't trust him as much as Colby does. I'm going with Sam Burns out of this group, mainly due to the weather conditions and the weather forecast we have right now. Well, this this group is very interesting, Sam, because Justin Rose and Corey Connors are are two of my favorite DraftKings values this week. Justin Rose at 7,800. And Corey Connors at 7,600. And talking about Connors, you're 100% right. His eighth and sixth is last three years. That's, you can just top 10 once and I guess, okay, it might have been a fluke. Okay. You do it three years in a row, you know how to play that golf course. And, and got the win last week, gaining 2.3 four shots approach and gaining almost a full shot off the tee. I absolutely love Corey Connors this week. As long as he doesn't have some sort of win hangover, which I don't think that he will because he's won the Valero Texas Open before. So it's not like he's doing something extremely new. I think he'll be even more motivated uh, to play this week at Augusta. And then Justin Rose, I agree with, with all the things Kobe said, mainly because 
He does have some pretty good form. Did win back at AT&T Pebble Beach and finished sixth at the Players' Championship. But the recent course or the course history here is just absolutely superb. Has missed the cut two out of the last four years that he's played. But also, too, I think he's playing a little bit better than he was those years. Remember, guys, back in 2018, he won the, the FedEx Cup when Tiger won at, uh, at Eastlake and was number one player in the world at one point. So, I mean, he's not too far removed away from having some very elite form. And then it lost in the playoff to Sergio in, in 20, uh, 20, uh, 2017, uh, lost to Spieth in 2015, finished second there, had the fifth and eighth in there as well, 14, and some other top 20. So, yeah, I really like Justin Rose as a value play. And then out of the two main guys you mentioned, Sam, this is the ultimate debate right here on if you prefer uh, recent form of course history because Sam Smith has, has the course history for sure and does not have – the recent form has finished sixth at Monaco, but he kind of backdoored that one on the finished 26 29th his last two tournaments. And he even had been in his press conference how bad he's playing. So I'm like, well, I can't pick this guy. But then I look at the course history, it's still the only player, I get him the COVID year, still the only player to have all four rounds in the 60s at Augusta. That's one of the most badass records you could possibly have. Finished third year last year, has a fifth back here in 2018. Then you look at Sam Burns, who's literally the exact opposite. Played here one time. Has a missed cut, but you look at it, won at the match play, and didn't just win at the match play, actually dominated, shot like, what, eight or nine under on Cam Young to beat him six and five. So not only is he playing good, he's playing superbly. He has a six at the Valspar, and we talk about this all the time, right? Guys just playing good at certain times of year, and I think Sam Burns may be on that track, but, but Huntman, this is the ultimate debate. Do you want to go with course history or recent form? I'm going to go with the course history, and I will go with Cam Smith out of this group. I think he's just going to drive down Magnolia Lane and he's going to get it figured out. Okay, first I got to start with Justin Rose because I, I met him in 2004 after the first round. He fired a 67. I'm interviewing the leaders for Westwood One. I was so impressed with this kid and two days later he shot an 81 and blew himself out of the tournament. But one thing you can count on with Justin Rose is he will have the lead at some point in this golf tournament because he's had at least a share of the lead after eight different rounds at the Masters, normally after the first round. Wow. The guy's incredible. He's, he's incredible in the first round. He's, I mean, he had that 67 that day. He had the 69 in the first round next time he played, then a 68. Later on, you know, he had a 67, 69 in back-to-back years. And then in recent years, uh, he, he, he went 67, 65, and 20 and 21 in the first round. So, I don't know. It's hard for me to handicap him, but this is his 18th Masters. He was second in 2015, obviously lost the playoff to Sergio in 2017. But this one, I do agree with you, T-Dub. I don't know it's something about Cam Smith. I, I know the current form is not there, but it's just hard for me to ignore top 10 and four out of the last five Masters with three of them top five, including the tie for second and 20 and the tie for third last year. So give me, give me Cam Smith. These are all bold picks, but one thing all these guys can do that Max Homa can't, they can shoot in the 60s at Augusta. Uh, <laughs> here's, here's, what, here's what's funny about that. When those names, I, I'm going Corey Connors and how, why, all those other guys got better pedigrees. Every one of them do. But current form, as you say, Craig, he's coming off win, um, and he plays good at Augusta. That goes against everything, which is usually how I do my picks. So I'm going with Corey Connors. I like I, I like Woody. I was sitting there about to go with Corey Connors, and then 
I'm, I'm reminded by T-Dub how good Cam Smith is on this golf course. And, and, and <laughs> he listen, really is. Toby's Justin Rose. Justin Rose, I thought all week, man, this guy's a kind of a, a sneaky underdog this week. I mean, Justin Rose, he, he's even at age 42, he is capable of winning this golf tournament. Well, what we got tonight, what's impossible, why don't we have like four donks and then a Justin Rose? Then it makes this easy, guys. <laughs> Good Lord, we're trying to pick from the best players in the world. <laughs> okay, so how do you pick one out of all these? I don't know, but we're going to try. Hey, there's no doubt that the game of golf right now, or the game of professional golf right now, is deeper than it's ever been. I want to ask you guys about some live players. Joaquin Neiman, Brooks Kepka, Patrick Reed. I, I mean, I could even give you Mito Pereira in that little group right mm-hmm. there. I am going T-Dub, Brooks Kepka, and it's because he did win last week. And maybe that's me being narrow-minded and, and just uh, you know going based off recent form, but I don't care. Brooks Kepka said something that really resonated with me last week. He said that he got chills when he thought about the capabilities that he has when he's healthy. And Brooks Kepka is finally healthy again after winning in Orlando. I think that a lot of people are sleeping on Brooks Kepka and forgetting about the fact that this is the same guy that has won multiple major championships in the past. This is still Brooks Kepka, and he's finally healthy again. I think that Brooks Kepka T-Dub is the best bet of the week in my opinion because Dustin Johnson is still up there in certain odds. Cam Smith is one of the favorites in Vegas. Brooks Kepka is not. He is down the list. You can find good value on Brooks Kepka. I'm going with him as my best bet of the week. I think he has a good week this week and I think he's one of those players that's a little streaky at times. And when he has that confidence, look out. You, you mentioned that he's a, a, ma- a multiple major champion. He's a four-time major champion. Like, people do not realize how crazy that is. Four majors. It's absolutely absurd. And, and those four guys that you mentioned, Pereira, Neiman, Kepka, and Reed, uh, Pereira and Neiman are actually higher analytically than those than the other two. But I like Reed and Kepka a, a lot more than I do those other guys. The main reason Yes, Pereira's been playing pretty well on, over on Libby. He has a 16th and 6th and 6th finish. But but similar to Neiman, too, I think they both just hit the ball a little bit too low to get around Augusta. If there's a little bit softer conditions, that may help them into some of the greens. But but traditionally, you have to have a very high ball flight to win at this golf course. And I think both of them hit it a little bit too low. Patrick Reed would be the exception to that rule of guys who can't hit it too far. But he just has something uh, to do about this golf course that's really good. Since he's won here, he has not missed a cut, and he's finished top 10 two of those other three years, really since the win. You see some guys get their win, and they'll kind of drop off after that, but Reed has continued to play this course well. And then Texas game, I found it really weird that I thought after his win at Live Orlando, he would jump up higher than he did in the odds, and he didn't. I thought that was pretty weird. I, I, I made the prediction a long time ago that I don't think he'll win another major, and I, I'm still on that track because I still need to see him at least contend in some other majors again before I see it. He has missed the cut in his last two years here at the tournament, but before that, in the second 2019, the Tiger actually had a great chance to tie and miss two putts inside eight feet on 17 and 18. And another guy has a seventh here in the COVID year, 11th and 21st and 33rd for his, his other appearances. So 
started off playing the course really well, Hump Man, but for whatever reason, the last couple of years, he just hadn't had it. So uh, if you had to say out of those guys, I would go Reed 1, Kepka 2, uh, probably Pereira 3, and then shockingly, Joaquin Neiman, I would put down at 4 just because he hasn't been playing particularly well, 33rd and 37th last two events on list. Yeah, it's, it's tough to argue. I, I got to go Kepka 1 just coming off the win last week for, for that reason only. But but your point on, on Patrick Reed, uh, T-Dub, what, top 10 and two out of the last three Masters. And, of course, he had that win where he stares down Rory and so forth back in, in 2018. And so, I, um, yeah, I would go Kepka 1, uh, Reed 2 in that group. I think I said it earlier tonight, uh, I, I, I got a sneaky feeling about this read this week. I, I don't know. I think the weather's going to be bad, and he just he just kind of sneaks in there. So uh, I said I didn't want him to sneak in there, but I would put Reed, then Kepka, and then I'd, yeah, Pereira, and then uh, Neiman. I, I'm the same as you guys. We, the only thing we do are talking about different is the one, two. Guys, I think that Patrick Reed's course history at Augusta National uh, is definitely something that you can't overlook. And I do think that Reed is one of those guys where he thrives in controversy, right? I mean, I think I think that some of the live versus PGA Tour stuff might be distracting to some guys. He absolutely thrives uh, when there is controversy and when there is bad weather. I think that that's going to play a factor in and play really into Patrick Reed's hands this week at Augusta National. Uh, I want to ask T-Dub, and I don't really have a feel for any of these guys, but T-Dub, I mean, what do you think about Tom Kim, Seamus Power, uh, Tom Hoagie, and Adam Scott? What do you think about those guys? Tom Kim, he's playing in the first Masters, and the only two players to win in the Masters in the first of 10 were Fuzzy Zeller in 79 and then Horton Smith in 1934, who won the very first Masters. So if you look at it, there's really only been one time that it's happened. So I think based off of that scenario, you have to throw Tom Kim out. There have been examples of guys who are playing in the first Masters who will have a really good run, a top five finish or so. So uh, that wouldn't shock me at all if he, if he does play. He's an exceptional talent. He's only, what, 21 years old now or something. So he has a lot of golf. Ahead of him, a, a guy who I, I once again not going to think he's going to win the tournament past champion here, but I think will definitely make the weekend. Could be a good DraftKings play for a lot of people. It is Adam Scott? I, I mean, just looking at the the course history, I don't think he has not missed a cut at the Masters, going all the way back to 2009, and he's played every single year since then. So he is just repetitively forgetting on the weekend. There, I think he's what 7500 on DraftKings, so that's not a bad play. Tom Hoagie, really good uh, iron player, finished 39th here last year. So maybe that, that's the guy to look out for. And he's actually been putting pretty well uh, throughout his last four events. So maybe that's the guy to look at. And, I mean, maybe you want to throw a Seamus Power around the draft seats or something as a cheaper player. He's only like 6,800. There's 27 here last year. But, I mean, I mean, huh, man, if we get to Sunday and Seamus Power is up there with a chance to win, I don't know what I'll do with myself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've been bragging on Tom Kim all week, but his current form is not that great. And it is only – his first Masters. And, T-Dub, you, you were talking about, you know, Fuzzy being the last one to win in his first attempt. Did you hear Tiger in his press conference today? And Tiger goes, uh, who, who was the last one to win in his first try? Wasn't it Craig Stadler or whatever? Was he just dissing Fuzzy? Was he still <laughs> mad at Fuzzy for mentioning the color greens or what? Or was, I don't know. But, but anyway, uh, I'm with you, T-Dub. I, I, I trust Adam Scott more still in his 22nd Masters, but 
uh, this is a guy who's who's proven in majors what nine top fives and and nineteen top tens and in, in majors. Adam Scott, he can still play some. Guys, I, I got to ask you about Shane Lowry. Shane Lowry finished tied for third here last year, and he's a popular pick, but people aren't necessarily doing their homework. He is putting worse than he has in his entire career, guys, leading into this event. He lost shots in eight of his last 10 events um, on the greens. And so I do not like Shane Lowry to finish in the top 10 again. Um, is there any other guys, T-Dub, before we get to the Oklahoma guys that you do like or really don't like um, uh, of kind of these long, long shots slash dark horse guys? I, I want to second your, uh, your fading Shane Lowry there for sure. One thing that Lowry was really known for over his career is being able to get up and down almost anywhere, and he's actually losing strokes gain around the greens this year, hitting his irons and off the tee, about the exact same as he has throughout his over the last six years. But his chipping's horrible, and he's losing strokes on the greens as well. So, no, I, I'm not very high on Shane Lauer this week. A lot of people may be looking at someone like Sahithi Gala, who's, who's 7,500 on DraftKings, but but he's been he's lost a lot of strokes on the greens the last couple weeks. So maybe he's a guy that I would fade as well. Someone who's, who's a lot of people have been talking about. Another guy a lot of people have been talking about is a Minwoo Lee. I, I think he has a chance to maybe play a, particularly well. He did have the, the uh, sixth-place finish at the Players' Championship. Can hit the ball especially far, which we know is a benefit at this course, and did finish 14th last year in his first appearance. So I think that's a pretty good sign whenever you can play pretty good um, in your first round. And we're going to talk about some of the Oklahoma guys, so I'll get into them. In a little bit, then even you know further down. I mean, Tiger's at seventy three hundred. We haven't even talked about him yet. So we're going to get to him. To we're going to get to him for sure. But uh, you know, I, I was just talking about maybe some longer shots. You know that we we wouldn't necessarily think of. T Dub. Okay. You know, what, 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 you know here, here's here's one for you right before we go to you, Hunt Man. Keith Mitchell. He's seventy one hundred on DraftKings. Only played the Masters one time back in twenty nineteen. Finished forty third. But he's one of the best drivers. In the game, actually hasn't been driving the ball particularly well last couple of events, so I think that's why you get a little bit of value on him. But, Hunt, man, if Keith Mitchell is able to go around and drive it like he's particularly known for, I think he's a really good value. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, he, he's been impressive to me. I mean, some of these tournaments, this guy hits the driver among the best of them when, when he's on. I was just going to ask you guys, uh, speaking of long shots, I mean, what, what is, what is uh, Kevin Nas' odds? I show him at two fifty to one there, Dad, on Kevin Na's odds. Okay, well, I mean he's playing his twelfth Masters, but uh, for some reason this guy likes to tie for twelfth because he's done it in two thousand twelve, fifteen, and twenty one. But anyway, and and he tied for fourteenth last year. It was his third straight top fourteen in the Masters. You give me a guy at, at what'd you say two fifty to one. And he's been in the top 14 in the last three Masters? I don't know. That's not a bad long shot. I'll tell you who's the long shot of all long shots, though, because he's got to have a good week. Scott Stallings. Because they lost his dadgum invitation. <laughs> you guys do to have a great week. Go with Scott Stallings. That's going to be the story of the week. He got in it, guys. That buddy, his name Scott Stallings, is following him. That's the story. That's right. Of the week. <laughs> That's right. If anyone hey, here, here, that. here, help, help, 
Uh, real quick, if anyone, if anyone missed the Scott Stallings thing, Augusta National sent the invitation uh, to the wrong Scott Stallings. Unfortunately, uh, the Scott Stallings they sent it to uh, was not actually invited, T-Dub. And I think the other Scott Stallings, they've got a practice round out of it, so it actually worked out very heavily for him. But, Hummer, I want to ask you about this, because we don't see this very often. Scott Stallings has played the Masters two other times going into this tournament. But he played it in 2012 and 2014, so he hasn't played here in nine years. What do you think it's like for a player to play this tournament before, but then coming back on over essentially a deck? That's that's a pretty tough one. Uh, that's a pretty uh, long stretch in between Masters, but yeah, third Masters and first since uh, 2014. Uh, so I don't know. I'm not real high on on Scott Stallings. Uh, I I forget who's even in that group, Sam. But but it's, I'm not picking Scott Stallings. <laughs> Guys, let's get to a group we're all familiar with. Let's go to the Oklahoma guys. And we already talked about Victor Hovland, so we'll leave him off of this. But let's talk about Taylor Moore, Taylor Gooch, and Abraham Answer. I like Taylor Gooch out of this group because... He finished tied for 14th here last year. I think a lot of people forget how well he played at Augusta National in his first time at Augusta National. And that that rarely happens where guys finish in the top 20 in their first try at the Masters. And then when I look at his performances on live, he's never finished outside of the top 20 since live Bangkok. That is 10 events, guys. And so I'm looking at his recent form, and yeah, I'm not saying that he's going to win the golf tournament, but I wouldn't be shocked if Taylor Gooch finished in the top 20. I would be shocked, on the other hand, if Taylor Moore finished in the top 20. I'm not, you know, going anywhere with that. I'm just saying that Taylor Moore, uh, you know, I, I think it's hard for a first timer at Augusta National. And then teed up with Abe Answer. Abe Answer is an interesting one because he wins the Saudi International against a bunch of solid, not only live players, but DP World Tour players and PGA Tour players. But then all of a sudden he has no form in his three events on live so far this year. So the obvious pick to me out of the Oklahoma guys is Taylor Gooch. I think you're I think you're 100% right out of those three. That should be the guy you pick. I think Taylor Gooch, I mentioned Corey Connors is my favorite value on DraftKings. I think PG is second at 6,800. I mean, are you kidding me? He could be your cheapest player in your lineup. I think it's an absolute steal. And one thing that I really like about T. Gooch here, as you mentioned, Sam, he finished 14th year last year. But he gained 1.5 shots on the green. So he definitely likes these greens and, and, and can know how to play them. So I think that'll be something that we're in. We know this very similar with all three of these guys. They played in Oklahoma, so they know how to play the conditions they're going to see this weekend with the wind and the rain. So I think that'll help all three of them in that aspect. I'm a little bit higher on team more than you are, Sam. I think he is going to, I think he's going to make the cut in his first appearance. I do think he'll finish top 25, maybe potentially top 15. Main reason is because his last two tournaments, he's gaining more than a shot uh, approach to green. So, I mean, he's hitting his irons and his swing so well and all the confidence he got for winning a basketball. I think he's going to trans- translate that into a very successful week. Uh, gaining a multitude of shots on the green since last five events. So, yeah, I really like T. Moore as a, one of my favorites to be, will have maybe the best uh, best finish as a first-timer. I, I think that would be a solid bet if you could find that somewhere. Um, and, and then Abraham Answer, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to fade him as well, huh, man, just because three performance, Sam mentioned, 17th, 28th, and 30th. Last three events on live did win the Saudi International. 
the thing with this tournament as well has gotten progressively worse each year that he's played. I believe, was it 2020? Was he in the final group with the Decky that year? He was, he, he was in the group. final group. I, I was just going to tell Sam that we were talking about Fuzzy being the last to win. We got a guy here that was in the final group in his first Masters, and then he shot a 76 and played it in time for 13th, but you're right, T-Dub. Then he goes uh, T-26 and, and missed the cut last year. But, but he was in the final group, and I got to say, he tied for ninth at the PGA at Southern Hills last year, and he tied for 11th in the Open Championship at St. Andrews. So even though his current form, again, you get a guy who's a, a proven major competitor, but a guy whose current form is bad. But give me the guy that played in the final group in 2020. Yeah, guys, I, I want to get to one more group of guys before we get to Phil and Tiger Let's talk about Bubba Watson, Bryson DeChambeau, Sergio Garcia, and Louis Oosthuizen. Four guys that have had some success at Augusta National, or three guys that have had great success at Augusta National, and then Bryson DeChambeau. And we talked a lot about Bryson T-Dub. I think his body is broken down on him, and he's not putting near as well as he was when he won the U.S. Open, and then... I think it's interesting looking at Bubba and Sergio. Sergio has played decent since going to live, but not great. Pretty streaky. He has a tied for third, a tied for fourth, a, a ninth in there, and also a tied for fifth in there. So he has his good weeks, but he also has his horrible weeks on live. I don't know. I guess I'm going with Sergio out of that group, but mainly just because Bryson hasn't shown me anything really in the past year or so after being injured with the with the hand slash you know wrist thumb injury last year uh and then I don't know he finished what top 10 at the open championship but then shown no form since then I don't know what to think about Bryson I'm going with Sergio out of that group I, I am so down on Bryson Shambo. It, it literally is crazy because I would have never I would have picked Bryson out against it post his U.S. Open win weak foot form. I mean, you could come in here and say that this course at 67. It's just complete disrespect for the course, and the golf gods are going to eat back at you at this course for probably the rest of your career saying such stupid shit like that. So, yeah, Bryson gets a coming to him on this course. But, yeah, out of those guys, I- I'm probably going to go with Louie, uh, in all honesty. You talk about streaky. Here's Louie's three finishes so far in this. 42nd, 4th, with, with that 4th, he lost in a playoff, too, may I say. Lost in a playoff. And then 42nd, the other one. So, I mean, he, he's just so streaky, it's crazy. But then you look at him on this course, did have the withdrawal last year in 2022, but then 26th, 23rd, 29th, 12th, uh, 15th, 19th is some of his recent finishes there. Did have the, the loss in the playoffs to Bubba all the way back in 2012 where he had the famous double eagle on number two. So, he likes this course, can get to the weekend, but, Hunt, man, this is not a group of guys that I, I expect any of these guys to be really in contention with any chance to win on Sunday afternoon. Do I get any other choices besides Sergio, a guy who missed the first three cuts after he won? <laughs> DeChambeau, who I – no way I can take. And my, my man, Louis current form is not great. But I, I will say this. Give me the guy – he's the only guy in Masters history with an ace on number 16 and a double eagle on number two. Give me Louis. No love for Bubba Watson, Woody. Uh, yeah, well, I was getting ready to say, I couldn't agree with your father more, Sam. I'm not picking one of these dogs. I don't care about <laughs> them, okay? 
not going to pick one. I refuse to pick one of those guys. I can't even believe you made us even do that. <laughs> well, T-Dub, I will make you pick one of these two guys. Number one, what is the bigger story and who plays better this week? Phil Mickelson or Tiger Woods? In my opinion, T-Dub, I think it's going to be Tiger Woods. We haven't seen great form from Phil Mickelson or even good form at times from Phil. We saw Tiger at least make the cut at the Genesis, showed me some good things. Now, I think that we've talked a lot about this, T-Dub. There's a big difference between practicing at home and a hit and giggle and all that stuff and competitive tournament golf. And I think mentally, I don't care if your name is Tiger Woods, you kind of... You, you get a little bit rusty when it comes to some of those things, whether it be him putting it in the bunker at Riviera after, you know, we see great things from him. We're going to see glimpses from Tiger Woods this week, but in my opinion, I think it's a successful week if Tiger just finishes 72 holes. I expect Tiger to make the cut because he's never missed the cut here, but at the same time, I don't think he finishes in the top 30 of the golf tournament, T-Dub. That's just my opinion. I think out of, out of these two picks, I think clearly Tiger is, is the favorite on this. From, from a lot of the reasons you just mentioned, I mean, he's never missed a cut at this tournament. I mean, are you absolutely kidding me? I mean, that is just crazy. What is this, this 25th as, as year? A pro. As a pro. That, as a professional, yes. Absolutely. And, and, and also remember, the very first time he played this tournament as a professional, he won by a 12-shot scoring record. So, so he definitely could get around this place. And I just think that this is the one course Maybe so than any other. We thought maybe St. Andrews would be the case, but uh, he, he obviously showed that wasn't last year, where you could just get on the course and you know how to play it. And we saw a little bit last year, his very first competitive round in, what, 18 months or something like that? And he shot uh, 71 shots under par and was in the top 10? I mean, he could just get around this course, but I do think over the course of 72 holes, I do think that the weather will get back on him. And I think this is a very important distinction on Tiger. Look at how Tiger has played every single hole at Augusta over his career. The, the, the two stretches of golf where he has played very poorly are holes four and five, where on four he's 19 over par collectively, and number five where he's 20 over par collectively. And then you have holes 10 through 12, where he's 11, 16, and 17 over respectively his 10 that he made back there uh, a couple years ago. Number 12 didn't help his matters there. But, but I, I think that early on we'll, we'll know how Tiger's doing, basically through hole five, because if he can get through uh, holes one through five and say around even par, I think he's going to get off to a pretty good start, and I think that'll be a good good way to prognosticate how Tiger's doing. But, but when it comes to Phil Hunt, man, I, I'm I'm so far out. You brought up some really good points on the radio show about how he plays this course exceptionally well, and I do think that there could be a little bit of that. I may be a little bit more on the side than I was a, a few days ago, and I just was so sure finally that he was going to miss the cut. You talked me into it a little bit. I do think there is a shimmer of light that he can make the cut, especially since he shot, I, I think he shot five or six under in the final round at Live Orlando, but that only moved him up at 41st, so that shows how bad he was playing before that. So out of those two, I'm clearly going to pick Tiger as to have a better finish. But uh, I I don't know, how, man. There's some part of me that thinks the game of golf needs Phil Mickelson to come out and play good this course, considering this is the first time we're seeing him at Augusta National since his win at, at Kiowa in the PGA. Yeah, that's a good point. Hard to believe that it hadn't even been two years since that win in 2021 at the PGA when he won that at the age of 50. So, but how far he has fallen that we're picking a guy on one leg uh, to make the cut over him here at Augusta National where, like you said, he's got a good 
good track record. All these, I mean, he's won here three times, tied for second in, in 2015. Heck, re- remember, I mean, he had all those third-place finishes before he ever won it. He had finished third in 96, 2001, two, and three. Three straight years finished tied for third before he won his first one in 2004. I love Phil. I think it'd be great if, if Phil would not only make the cut, I'd love to, to see him in contention. I just don't know if it's going to happen this weekend. And sounds crazy, but I, I trust Tiger on one leg more than Phil this weekend. Totally agree. And uh, until Phil puts on about 25 pounds, I, I, I don't think he's going to win it anyway. <laughs> he, he, he looks dang near like he's dead. I, I saw pictures of him. That, a man that age shouldn't lose that kind of weight. He just shouldn't do it. So, you know, I, I, I want Tiger to make a cut in a way that I don't want him to because I'm not sure I want to watch him on the weekend in that 50-degree weather, guys. I don't think yeah. that could be good for yeah. his body. Be just so, like Saturday last year, right? Yeah, That's a great point. Tiger scared. brought it up today in his press conference. He says, and then it got cold on the weekend, right, Woody? Yeah, see, I I don't know. I, 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 isn't that terrible to say that? I just, I'm not sure. I want him to make the cut this time, but uh, I think he is going to, and, and no doubt the one-legged guy is going to beat the skinny dude. So, T-Dub, I mean, I, I have Phil missing the cut, and then I have Tiger finishing around, I don't know, 45th. What do you got Tiger and Phil finishing at the end of the golf tournament? Yes, I'm going to feel good about, about Phil, and I'm going to say that he is going to make the cut. I think he's going to finish probably DFL, the guys that make the cut. So, what is their 50 and ties make the cut. Let's just say 55 players make it. So I think he finishes 55th. And then uh, Tiger, I think that he will be in the top 10 at some point, maybe after the first or the second round. I do you think he's going to get off to a good start? But but then the injuries and probably the putter woes will probably, unfortunately, be what comes back. So what did he finish? 40 like that last year. I think he's going to finish a little bit better than that. Give me a 30-second finish for Tiger. I'll say 38 and 50. Tiger 38, Phil 50. I'd say both missed the cut. Yeah, I think that that's probably the best bet, Woody. I I just don't see it from either of these guys. Tiger's got to show it to me physically. Okay, guys, it is time to give our picks for the Masters in 2023. T-Dub, I will start with you. Please give me three picks and a dark horse to start this off, and then we'll give our one-and-done picks after that. Well, it's kind of hard not to go with the chalk at this point. Uh, our man Colby went with Rory uh, and Scheffler. They decided not to go wrong. I, I really want to go in one, two, three. I, I will throw Scotty out there. I do think that he is probably the favorite out of those three. I will go ahead and leave out Rory and Rom just to be just to give out some other picks. I really like Jordan Spieth with this course history. I do think that he is going to play um, particularly well at, the, at this year, just as he always has. Um, next pick, um, some guys that we – actually, I'll go ahead and go ahead – because I'll have another dark horse in there. Give me, uh, give me Rom. I think Rom will go ahead and beat Rory. I'm going to th- have Rom as one of my one and done picks, but so I didn't want to throw him in there. But I'm going to go ahead and go because I'm scrolling down here and there's see every single person I want to pick has a little bit of worry in there. Could have went with Hideki. I think Hideki's going to do pretty good as well. But uh, so I've got I've got Scheffler, I've got Rom, I have Steve. and then as a dark horse, I really like uh, Colby Justin Rose. I about going with him. But, uh, I mean, I think I'm going to go with Taylor Gooch. I think that he is a great fit, 58th-ranked player in the world, 43rd analytically. I think Gooch is going to have a great week. And hopefully, 
he can finish inside that top 12 because Woody makes a great point. These live guys have a lot of pressure on them because if they are able to get inside of top 12 and ties, that gives them assurance that they'll get in the next year's Masters. And I think TG has a great chance to do that. So I will go with uh, Taylor Gooch as my dark horse. All right. Uh, you guys about talked me out of my Shoffley pick, but I already went on with Ann Liguori, um, uh WFAN in New York this afternoon. I picked Shoffley. I hate people that make two different picks. So I'm sticking with him. Xander Shoffley is my pick to win. I'll go with Rory, number two. That's where he finished last year. Uh, he hadn't proven that he can win it uh, yet, but, but he's playing some great golf. I can't leave him out. So I'll go Shoffley, Rory, and I will go with Jason Day on that current form as number three. And I got to go with that number 69 player in the world, DJ, as my dark horse. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. We call the DJ a dark horse. That sounds like I used to pick. Um, I'm going to go with Rory. I'm going to go with Scheffler. I'm going to surprise you guys with these next two. I'm going to go with Kepka, and I'm going to go with Reed. I like it, Woody. Uh, Kepka, by the way, the 118th ranked player in the world coming off a win uh, last (laughs) week headed into Augusta Augusta National. Guys, I've wavered back and forth throughout the day, and the more I look at the weather forecast, the more I am convinced that Dustin Johnson is going to win the Masters this this year i am picking dustin johnson yes the 69th best player in the official world golf ranking right now i am picking dustin johnson to win this year's masters and the reason being guys is dustin johnson I feel like a lot of people just forget about the consistency he has had on live. The only bad tournament he's had on live was live Mayakoba. And that was coming off the long layover. And it was at a course that he wouldn't normally play if he was on the PGA tour. And so I love Dustin Johnson this week. Give me a non asterisk win for my man, DJ. And then in second place, I have Rory McIlroy. I think that Rory will play well this week. I like him. I had to put one of the top three guys in the world in in my top three for the Masters this week. And I loved what I saw from the driver last week and the putter at the match play. And I think that he will be motivated to have a great week this week. And I loved what I heard in his interview today in the in the press conference talking about how he feels prepared for the week this week. I really like Rory McIlroy. I wouldn't call you an idiot if you picked him to win the golf tournament. And then third, I have Brooks Kepka. I have Brooks Kepka in third. Guys, I loved what I heard from him after he won at Live Orlando last week. I think that Brooks is kind of getting back to that mental place where he thinks that he is one of the top players in the world. He just needed to see it one time. Normally, you would fade guys that won the week before, not Brooks Kepka. I think he needed that little jolt of confidence headed into Augusta National. I really like Brooks this week. And then as my dark horse, I'm going Jason Day, guys. The putting has been too great recently. I have Jason Day as my dark horse. Guys, am I nuts for putting two live players in my top three, T-Dub? 
Not necessarily the ones that you pick. No, not at all. It, it's crazy just to hear Jason Day as a dark horse because you look at him, he's 35th ranked player in the world, but he's the eighth player analytically. So, I mean, you just got to absolutely steal there. And a dark horse, that may even be a more bigger steal than Dustin Johnson, 69th ranked player in the world. Which, I mean, shout out to DJ for getting all the way down to 69th. I mean, of all the numbers to be yeah, that's pretty interesting. Then also, too, Sam, want to note this out. You pick Brooks Kepka, his caddy number that says caddy will be wearing is number 69. So you got a nice little trend going on. There we go. Uh, That's exactly about- right. And he's finished tied for 7th and 2nd, and he has a tied for 11th at Augusta National, too. I want people to remember what Brooks Kepka actually was, and I think that Brooks wants people to remember that, too, Dad. And speaking of interesting rankings this week, Tiger's out of the top 1,000. He's down to 1,001 this week. Wow, and that is insane. The needle. Yeah, it moves the needle more than any pro play in the game. So, DJ at number 69 and Tiger at 1,001 uh, for the week. <laughs> that is so pretty t- so unbelievable. Tiger would definitely qualify as a dark horse. Yeah. Yeah. So, there- Bill's at 425 for the record. <laughs> <laughs> Some of these rankings are insane if you look through them. I mean, yeah, we mentioned Brooks at 118, and, and I know that DJ is at 69, and then Patrick Reed. I, I don't even know what Patrick Reed's ranking in the world yeah. right now. But anyways, guys, I really enjoyed the, this long uh, Masters preview, but if you stay with us until the end, I appreciate it. And again, Go visit grooveitbrush.com and and, and uh, visit our friends at Omni Construction as well as golfoklahoma.org. And throughout the week, we will be giving uh, you know updates and we'll do a halfway through preview on the podcast uh, for the weekend on Friday evening and then catch the 73rd hole radio show on the sports animal that's 98.1 FM WWLS the sports animal uh, this weekend where we're doing not only preview shows in the morning but uh, but recaps in the evening on Saturday and Sunday. So we have you covered. We are Oklahoma's leader in golf. T-Dub, I'm just going to give you the floor uh, to say your final piece about this year's Masters before we get it underway. It's going to officially be the greatest Masters of all time. I mean, it's just going to be unbelievable the experience that I have tomorrow. I cannot wait. Uh, We got down, probably got about six hours from the time of recording before I've got to get up in the morning to get ready to go on my day. And I may not sleep, guys, in all honesty. I don't know if I'll be able to. I mean, it's literally like Christmas morning and saying, hey, you get to go wake up in the North Pole and you get to go stay with Santa. I mean, that's pretty much what it's like right now. And I cannot wait for tomorrow. I'm going to have some beautiful weather, it looks like. And hopefully I just get to get the full experience, maybe get to see a little bit of my hero, Tiger Woods, growing up. And get to experience the Part 3 contest and just see what that's all about. So I absolutely cannot wait. For tomorrow, Sam. Big, like I said, big thank you to, to your dad, Craig Humphreys, for coming on and hosting me and my dad. And we just cannot wait and are blessed to have this incredible opportunity. Uh, I, I say it's just great to have uh, Randy and T Dub in town here in Augusta. It is going to be a special day tomorrow. And Patrick Reed is number 70, uh, right behind our man DJ. <laughs> <laughs> there you have it. What are any final thoughts? The only final thoughts I have is I'm a, I am a little bit jealous that all three of you will actually have stepped on the hallowed grounds by the time the week's over. But I have a really nice 60-inch TV, high depth, so I'm going to do what I can here in Oklahoma. <laughs> well, I mean, Woody, if only you could have got a ticket. 
I mean, that, that seems to be the <laughs> I know. It's not like Woody has a free ticket every single year for being a golf every professional. Year. I'm just being stubborn. I always said if I couldn't go and play it, I, I'm not going. But I might have to break down one day. You definitely, you definitely need to break down and go enjoy the Masters. Maybe next year uh, we can do that, Woody. But I cannot wait for a tradition unlike any other. That is the Masters at Augusta National. Guys, thank you for listening to the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Go give us a follow at the 73rd Hole on Twitter and at 73rd Hole on Instagram. And we will, again, be back on Friday for our halfway uh, through show of the Masters. T-Dub, thank you. Dad, thank you. I really appreciate it. Woody, thank you so much. And big, big thank you to the Golf Channel's Colby Powell for joining us on the 73rd hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma.